Alright guys, welcome back to the Skullcast for episode 43. Been away for a while. Uh, scheduling conflicts, no big deal. It's been kind of slow anyway out there. Everyone kind of knows what's, uh, what the horizon looks like for Berserk. The last issue of Gigantomachia hit, or, or like, I guess you can say the penultimate issue. I'm not actually sure how that's going to work. Uh, this, the, the story has concluded, but... I think it will be some kind of epilogue, you know? Right, but there is still one issue yet to come. Uh, a bonus issue, I think is how it's been phrased. So yeah, uh, right, an epilogue would be cool. Uh, the question, I guess, is going to be whether it continues the story or whether it uh, is going to be like a, a, a prequel of sorts, you know, saying how Promay and Delos first met. That's that's kind of what I'm hope, holding out for, but, you know, I'm up for anything, whatever. So yeah, that's where it is right now. No news on Berserk just yet, but before we get into uh, Gigento Machia 6, I wanted to say uh, we're a little late on this announcement, but we're actually in our third year of the podcast at this point. We celebrated, not really celebrated, but we hit our two-year mark uh, February, early early February or so, so we're almost a month af- past that, but... Anyway, uh, it's been two full years of podcasting, and I think we've had something like six Berserk episodes across that time, but maybe there will be more in the future. Well, only six, man. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think that's right. Six yeah. or seven. So. Feels weird. Feels weird to put it like that, you know? So three of which were a flashback, you know? <laughs> nice flashback. Though. Oh, it was a fucking great flashback. Yeah. yeah I agree. So yeah, it's been nice, and we will probably continue to do this as long as Berserk is out there. Well, we'll see how it goes. How, what do you guys think? Two years out, do you, do you guys uh, you get some growing pains yet? You feel like old men yet? Yeah. Have we already peaked? <laughs> Are we on the decline? You think we're on the back end, the downhill? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is hard to like get together, you know, and do it. Surprisingly, I mean, with all that stuff going on. But uh, it's just interesting that you pointed out the six episodes. So I guess we're going to record these whether there is Berserk or not, you know, because, you know, most of the time it's not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that's what we did for the bulk of the show was kind of just, you know, do our own thing. And then, yeah. honestly, it started to wear on me a little bit as far as, like, coming up with creative new ideas. I've, I've talked about that before. Uh, it's a little easier to stick to the release schedule we'll talk about that stuff. But, uh yeah, I guess it really depends on how consistent Berserk is in the future. I have fun doing it, and that's not going to go away, I don't think. So we will keep on keeping on. And thanks, guys, for all the comments and the threads. You guys are always very supportive of the show. I think you got a specific shout-out, Azil, most recently. Yeah, that was really cool. warmed my heart. <laughs> <laughs> warmth! <laughs> I do like the idea of comparing you to the King of Midland, although, you know, you're quite a bit more uh, cool like- than he is. Gross and uh, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I deal with my daughter, man. <laughs> yeah, I guess I just meant in terms of my mental image of like your maturity level. <laughs> you know, you're that old bearded guy in my head. Yeah, well, uh, I don't know. I guess uh, thanks. You know, <clears throat> what am I in your head? Like a a chip a, chi- a chip bunk? Uh, you're like the you know the chief troll. You know, <laughs> the one with the, the with boss troll. The boss. <laughs> yeah, the boss troll. Yeah. The, the one who's smart the enough to wear armor and, you know, has a crossbow. <laughs> I take pride in that. And Griff's the one with the top hat, I guess. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, it's been good and we will continue on to do this show as long as we can. Uh, thanks again for listening. And that's the show. <laughs> See ya, guys. <laughs> oh, it's been nice. So, anyway, seriously, though, Gigantomachia 6, 
It feels like it's been like a month since I read it. Oh, wait, it has been a month since I read it. Yeah, it's actually too late, man. Like, it's the just... fire is out now, but... Uh... <laughs> it ended... You know what I liked about it? My, my impression, looking back on it in my head, is basically I liked how circular the story was. I liked the way it ended. I liked those final pages... Because it's, it starts, it ends somewhat like a start in terms of where the direction's headed, but you know so much more about those characters and their, their exchanges become more meaningful because of what happened in these last few issues between Delos and Prome. And that's like, to me, that's the heart of this whole thing. Like, yeah, like, you know, going into this whole series, I was very, you guys know I had like a big heart on to know what the Empire's goals were and what the, the shape of the world was like. But as it progressed, I cared so much more about Delos and Prome. And that's sort of where things developed, as far as I'm concerned, with, with the story. And so I was, yeah. I was happy where things went. I liked it. I think, I think that tends to be like Mirror Style. You know, same thing with Berserk in, in that it's uh, very character-driven. You know, like the character development and things you learn about the characters. Yeah. That's where most of the story, you know, like, you know, goes. Even though there are all these events, it's a background and foreground and everything. But, like, you know, the characters really, you know, home it on. Yeah. So we can kind of go through the the big developments here. Uh, the Titan and the Oracle were unmasked, as we kind of figured was going to happen at the end of the last issue, uh, after that big suplex from the sky thing. And um, the Titan looked exactly like uh, I I can't remember which Berserk monster, but I mean it looked just like I mean. The, did well, any of you notice that? It's, like, a, look it's, it a, it's a it's a mix between like the ogre and uh, Ganishka's like you know face you know face you know monster shit you know like no but when... I mean there's an even more specific face from Berserk that it matches. You mean, the, I I... you mean the pig apostle from Volume 14? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it might be the pig apostle, but I'm I was like he came to mind, and I was also thinking like was there even something else that like the shape of its head was you know mm-hmm. similar. And with the heads going down like that, but I mean, there's just so many monsters. It was I couldn't find it. Well, is there the one? But I just that, saw that and thought, like, is there the ones that burst out of Gaston's head during the eclipse? You know, yeah, told, that's another one. That's good. yeah. Well, you know, like a gross monster looks like another gross monster, I guess. <laughs> it also had arms. Yeah, it also had arms that looked. But I mean, these were like very, you know, similar. Like you know, if you put out an APB for one of those gross monsters, you might get this one by mistake. You know, but uh, <laughs> it also like I mean, just the the shape of the body was interesting. Just the you know when he's like, you really get a good look at it when he's mm-hmm. taking it up in the air. And it's just sort of this weird, thick, heavy elephant body and those skinny, sort of gross arms. I mean, they're gross, you know, when put on that body. Yeah. yeah. It kind a of lot reminded of... you. Sorry, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just saying the design of it is very interesting because, you know, we had talked earlier about the effects of what that mantle or that headpiece was going to be. And you could actually see it has spines on its body that kind of, you know, you could say predate the, the Oracle's like headgear thing. Well, you know, I don't think it really predates it. Like, I, I think, like, this being, from what we know about how they are done, they are probably, like, you know, taken from, you know, Gaia's body or whatever, mm-hmm. and, you know, molded into the things there. Like, you can see on some panels, he's got this kind of, I don't know, vents yeah, into, yeah. into its body where smoke is coming out and shit like that. So I think they've, like, you know, tinkered with it, like, using some kind of gross, you know, biotechnology to... You know, all the way to have this the plasma blade and, and stuff like that. So it mm. generates it from its body, but I don't think I don't think this is a natural creature or that that would be its natural, you know, form or anything like that. I think it's something that was, you know, you know, 
created using, you know, biotechnology or something like that. You know, in any case, it's not a natural being. Okay. Like you, you can see, I don't know, but you can see the spikes, mm-hmm. like there's blood, you know, spouting out, uh, spouting out of them or mm-hmm. stuff like that. So I really don't think it's, you know, like this is some kind of abomination. Well, clearly, yeah, yeah. And then I guess that's kind of what I was getting at was what had what involvement did the Empire have in, ter- in terms of its, its, its appearance and its function? And I guess you're saying it's a completely engineered bioweapon. Which I well, thought it would be a pre-existing giant that the Empire then harnessed, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe not completely. I, I think it's possible that it's completely, you know, engineered, meaning they took something, you know, from Gaia and molded it into this. Or maybe it's just a being that existed that they, you know, heavily modified. But in any case, I think, like, the modification level is pretty high, you know, be, be, be it the net on its body or the spikes on its head or even look at the, its fucking face. The thing is, you know, I can't believe it's natural. So I think at least, you know, I would say, you know, 60%, you know, modified or tinkered with. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the fact that it has multiple faces certainly hints at some kind of fucked up experiment kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. At least to me anyway. <laughs> it is very bizarre and kind of disturbing looking. Yeah, when you com- especially when you compare it to you know uh, the giant of uh, you know the scarabee, you know the one they keep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's you know, much more like even though he might be like a dead body, like you know a dead one, you know like mm-hmm. this, or maybe just natural shape of you know one of these guys, but he looks a lot more you know normal. Right. And right. Pe- it looks a lot more peaceful. I mean, this yeah. thing just looks you know like it's. Yeah, it's, it has problems. Like, it doesn't necessarily look like it's raging, but it looks like it's, you know, in distress. Yeah. <laughs> sort of agitated. Yeah. Why, well, you know, Prom even says it has some kind of, you know, life protection system, you know, embedded in, you know, that's why it goes for the, you know, uh, like the, the make of these guys. So hmm. it's controlled. Even, even without the Oracle, it's still got stuff implanted inside itself that, you know, makes do, you know, what it's programmed for. Hmm. Anyway, the action is basically, you know, I, I just honestly didn't, wasn't sure it was going to attack or, or not, you know, given that it had just been unenslaved essentially. But yeah, it does. And a fight ensues. And then Gora, uh, what is it? Trans, trans confirms was sorry. Something about the, uh, the nectar gets transmuted into nitro yeah. nectar. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. It, it synthesizes uh, the nectar into nitro nectar and just, you know, like uses it to, Propel himself into the sky. Yeah, and for a super suplex. Yeah, Icarus. Yeah, Icarus Tufaru. Uh, the page is great, where they have uh, Delos and Gora's face split into two. I love their eyes. <laughs> Gora's eyes have that spiral effect, and Delos' eyes are more like what Guts looks like whenever he's you know pissed off. Yeah, it's except he, he has like Zod's you know eyebrow. Oh, totally. Yeah. Or yeah. like, you know, in Devil Man's eyebrow. I, I, actually, it's not even Zod. It's more like Gookie, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a really cool shot. And um, something about the way the, the, the he takes off, you know, kind of, of course, it looks like a spaceship will take it off or something like that. The star in the sky and all that. And it looks, yeah. The, the smoke effects are very cool looking. Well, that was cool. Getting up I was actually surprised how quickly uh, it was over at that point. Like they, I mean, obviously a lot of it was devoted to sort of uh, like falling action, you know, no pun yeah. intended, and uh, and the resolution and the nice little wraparound, you know, ending that sort of frames the whole story, where it's like, you know, this is just one in many, you know, sort of titan battles that uh, that they're going to be going. You know, it's like they're they're the Incredible Hulk, or you know, on. Uh, 
kung fu or something going from titan battle to titan battle mm-hmm. you know having these adventures and yeah you know, i was surprised because i thought there'd be more with you know his battle damage and you know i thought there'd be more drama there but it was it really just sort of wrapped it up which you know well fine. i mean the battle damage uh, you're right it's kind of like when guts gets damaged at first we're like oh shit yeah, he's, he's gonna be dead I mean, <laughs> the story's gonna be over yeah and, and then of course could really, that could really happen though so that was yeah but it being a mini series of course yeah. yeah but i mean he does he does sustain damage delos does have yeah you know the the he mirrors the damage that Gora took, which is, becomes a plot point, essentially. I thought they'd at least fake, like, you know, like, oh, he can't, you know, he can't move, you know, he's dying, you know. But he just, he just yeah. sort of got up, looked pissed, and said, like, all right, I'm going to finish this guy off. Like, I, I assume Promay was saying, you know, asking him if he was all right and things right. like that. You know, but, yeah, I just thought there would be more to it. I mean, it's not bad. It was just, you know, it defied my expectation. It is interesting, actually. Um, to, to me, obviously, the issues. It's not really about the giant fight conclusion. It's it's really more about yeah. subverting yeah. This, this this impending war between these two people, and that honestly surprised me. That it, it kind of becomes an anti-war piece, at least in this context. Uh, and the most interesting part about the whole episode to me was uh, what's her name? Sorry, Prome doesn't necessarily care about this ending this conflict, but Delos kind of insists, and then Prome. Has to basically, you know, kind of intervene herself. Yeah, all of her power. She, she, she does. That it makes for, her a good diplomat. Him. She'll just say, you know, well, you know, <laughs> this is right. how it's going to be. Yeah, and um, sorry. Before we even get to that, I love page twenty-two because it gives us a sense of scale. I felt was kind of missing from some of the pages. If you look at twenty-two real quick, it's Gora with his foot outstretched after he's just stood between the two forces. And in the very bottom, you see the bug riders, uh, et cetera. But you can see the sense of scale between the two yeah. uh, types of uh, forms and how, how that was really impressive looking. And then he ex- kind of explodes in a crystallized form and uh, spits out into the ball. Anyway, sorry, I'm just detailing as I'm looking through. But yeah, I was surprised that it did become kind of an, an anti-war piece, which I didn't expect. But it makes sense that Delos is invested in that, him being all who he is, uh, even though he was, he does stand against the empire. You know, it's not like he wants this kind of war to continue. And I guess Promay's questioning the, uh, the purpose of that kind of, uh, of fight, I guess. What, what, why, why she takes a stand. It basically stands up for Delos. Yeah. She, she does it for him, but you know, you know, what, when, um, what to say, what you say about, you know, you know, why standing up, why, you know, even though he's against the empire, he wants to stop, you know, the battle is because, you know, like his reason for fighting the empire is because he loves peace. And right. so, you know, because the empire wants to subjugate everything, like he opposes them to preserve peace and life and stuff like that, you know, like he wants to avoid, you know, bloodshed, you know, essentially. Right. And he wants people to live their lives, you know, and to flourish. And the world to flourish as well. So that, that's his motivation. And that's why he, he's, uh, you know, fighting the empire. Mm. The, um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm looking through it and, and there's a page on 34 where they look like they are, they want to fight anyway. Basically the scarab leader comes and says, you know, all these things they've done to our people over this time. And they look like the war is going to continue regardless of Gora and Delos's intervention. And there's this, there's this panel there where Delos has a clenched jaw. And there's a, next to that, there's Promay's eyes looking kind of like a killer. Um, 
And it's then that she intervenes. I thought it was a really cool moment. Like where Delgas had basically reached his breaking point. It's, it's, it was the most frustrating thing for him. Is He's tried what he could do and nothing would work. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because like when she intervenes, it's really very much like, you know, what Sonia did, you know. Oh, totally. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's really, yeah. you know, and, and that makes me, you know, like think about all the things. Like a lot of things in this series were can can be seen to be inspired by some some events in Berserk, and I think you know this whole thing probably came to Mira's mind, like when he was you know drawing you know volumes thirty three and thirty four. You know, I think mm-hmm. when you see all the things about like you know the giant fight, you know, and Ganishka, and you know like you know Prome, and you know what she does, like Sonia, and all these kind of things, you know, the fight between you know these two, you know. How to say tribes of people? It's uh yeah. To, to me, I, I think that's when you know the story you know germed in his mind. Hmm. I could be wrong, but in terms of the way she does this, I don't have a translation or anything. But I transcribed it, and she doesn't. It's not necessarily telepathy she uses. Does she not mention something about a radio wave or a wavelength or something like about how she's able to transmit that message? Well, you know, it's just you know, there's one way to say it, and there's another way, but you know. Sure. I guess the, the the reason I ask is, is again, this series has not been concerned with things that are magical. It's all technologically grounded. And, and so if that is the case, it would be consistent with that. And that's all the only reason I bring it up. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Well, you know, the whole thing, like she, even though it's, it, you know, <clears throat> there's mentions of gods and titans and it's very, you know, grounded in Greek mythology. But yeah, Prome is continuously referring to technical stuff, you know, right. and uh yeah, bring, she brings, you know, a technical aspect to the whole thing, a technological one even. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, and we actually never get to know exactly what she is. Like, you know, Delos calls her goddess, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yeah. her knowledge and everything. Then again, you know, in a world, if, you know, beings like supreme beings who were as powerful as she is existed, you know, it tends to reason that they would have a, a pretty good understanding on, you know, math- mathematics and engineering and stuff like that, you know, physics, because, you know, like that's what's, that's the rules of the universe. So right. to, to manipulate them, you have to understand them well. And so I'm not surprised. Like, you know, it makes sense. She could, you know, use, you know, uh, say language like that rather than just say, oh, I'm throwing fireballs and, you know, speaking to them with my <laughs> mind, you know, like, you know, I, I would understand. I guess I can understand, you know, things from that point of view. That's an, that's a very interesting perspective. It's just, but my first thought um, hearing, about hearing that was, if you if you have a superior power, you wouldn't necessarily have to communicate through the language of a lesser beings. Essentially, you could just your power would exist regardless of whether or not it made sense with pre existing rules. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, in this case, you know, the universe has rules, and so yeah. she has to follow them. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not necessarily about you know using the language. She uses the language. You know, just you know. Well, it's a story, you know. <laughs> sure. I mean, it's a it's a totally tangential point. I just I'm just very interested in the way you phrased that. Um, I do. I am I am a little bothered by partially how this is resolved. She basically brainwashes the empire into leaving. Is that right? She basically implants the idea that the desert is somewhere to be feared and has them retreat. Yeah. Why didn't she do that at the beginning? <laughs> it's like unless there was some reason, you know. Via the Titan, or because they wanted to fight the Titan. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was explain just it, is, but 
their main objective is uh, is actually to deactivate the Titans. That's the only reason they came here for. They Particularly, to... it's her it's her only reason. So this was just yeah. sort of this was, this was her favor at the end. Too. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, she just you know like what she wants is to you know that the titans you know go back to being part of gaia so in short you know go back to being you know part of the earth and so by planting the titan like that in the ground it will seed the the land and you know make it flourish so yeah i mean it's some kind of favor she does to delos and she explains that the guys you know like you know the scarabee will be able to exploit you know that land but uh, yeah they could have just killed everybody no problem I don't think I don't think she would have mattered. Right, and and, and again, to my only concern is that it, the conclusion it seems so simple that they're on this impending war, and, and she basically just snaps her fingers and says, "Well, you can fuck well, it's off." Not, you it's know. not really a war; it's more like you know like a, these a guys, big battle. Sure, yeah, they're the last you know bastion, so they are got just to slaughter these these you know uh, guys from the empire, these Hughes, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, these guys, the Scarabees, they've already lost. They've already, you know, like practically extinct. These guys are the last, you know, uh, part of the species or whatever. Right. So, you know, it's not, I guess, a variation because they're mutants. So they're, they're still humans. They're just, you know, half human. Mm-hmm. Whatever. And in any case, you know, yeah. Had they killed these guys, the thing is the result would have been the Empire would have sent, you know, another group there. Yeah, and you to kill them with another Titan, and maybe you know it, it also doesn't profit, you know, Prome and Delos because like they probably want to like seed a Titan here, another one there, you know, to do stuff, you know, you know, how to say harmoniously and not just you know have you know corpses all over, you know, in one place. So I, I think in the end it makes sense, you know, that it's done like that. And again, I'm not objecting to the fact that it's done. It's more like the how. And her being such a mysterious being to begin with, it, I don't know, uh, yeah. it, it seems a little... Well, yeah, it's a bit simplistic, that's what you mean. It, it makes me wonder what, what's the limit of her power, because I, I assumed it was all physically based, and, and then she basically says she can manipulate people's minds. It's just like, whoa, where does where is the line drawn? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Anyway. Or it's like, I mean, because, I mean, yeah, she could technically, if you want to overthink it, use that power to make them, you know, take the, the Titan to a location that gives them, you know, all the advantages and, you know, like, sort of, you know what I mean? Sure. Basically set up the, set up the fight, you know, perfectly to their liking. And the only reason it's noteworthy to me is that, uh, it doesn't seem consistent with the rest of the series in terms of the, the scope of what's possible. I don't, I don't know. And it is kind of the, it's the, the final chapter of the series. You, uh, we all did kind of expect to see kind of the full range of her powers. You know, to a certain it extent, it takes the air out of the sails of the things that you know you you assume the characters have no control over. Right. You know, they're just sort of just yeah. It, t- it sort of you know retroactively though takes the tension out. Right. Where it's like, oh well, she has this incredible power. Yeah. Well, the thing is, yeah, and it it ends up with Delos just saying she's a goddess, so so she probably like her power might might be even you know bigger than that mm-hmm. but uh now that you bring this point yeah actually it might be also why you know part of the reason mira decided to do uh like another bonus episode you know uh sure maybe a sort of epilogue where maybe he'll touch on you know you know what she can do or not but uh i, I guess in the context of the whole series you know like this coming at the end it actually didn't bother me at all because 
you know, like, again, taking the context of the original stories based on, you know, from Greek mythology, you know, uh, I, I guess it, it doesn't, ju- just it doesn't shock me that she can do, like, yeah. pretty much, you know, anything she wants. Mm-hmm. Those kind of reveals aren't shocking, like, in that, when you think of it in that way, where, you know, many stories ended with, you know, oh, well, I was an incredibly powerful god the whole time, you know. <laughs> like, that's a, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, a, that's actually an old trope, so. Yeah. But, uh. That- yeah, and she, she does, like, she does mention throughout the whole thing that, you know, she, she gives hints. When Delos is hit by stuff, yeah. she protects him with her body and says, oh, I can't be harmed by such things and such. So she actually repeatedly, you know, hints that she's, you know, beyond, you know, physical harm. And, and, and even on top of that, she even, she even continuously tells Delos that you can use my power and this can be over simpler. Yeah. Uh, throughout the, uh, Ogun fight. And she probably has a line of that as well during the Titan fight. I can't remember, but. Anyway, point is, she is a superior being, so she can kind of do whatever she wants. Uh. <laughs> yeah, so where do you go from here? Uh, Miura has said in the comment that he would like to uh, continue the series if he has a chance to, and we have another well, issue He is coming. going to, it sounds like, at least for one more episode. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, all the, that, that, that might not necessarily but he, wants to, he would like to pick it up and actually like do it proper. Yeah, that's what it sounded like, but it's like a one-sentence thing, you know. Yeah, but yeah, uh, with a bonus issue coming, the the question is: Is that going to be a, an actual issue, or be supplementary material, or, or or what? You know, I, I don't necessarily know, but I guess we'll know in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I think it would be interesting either way. But uh, his comment to me referred more to the fact he wants to pursue the series, like you know, do more volumes and stuff. You know, maybe at some point after Bezak is over, you know. Yeah. So, well, that would be interesting, but then again, you know, like, I think I can say that I guessed, you know, where this would be going, like, all this series would be done, you know, it followed pretty much what I expected, Mm -hmm. from the early fight to the giant fight to, you know, the way it ends, and uh, I actually wonder how he would do it if he were to, like, you know, expand on the world, because there are many things, you know, that can be shown, that can be done, you know, but... The thing is, you know, like, from what we see in this series, you know, we can imagine the rest and it's well encompassed, but, uh, and you know, the, the parts that aren't shown, we can, you know, we can guess them and, and they're cool like that, but I, I wonder if, you know, let's say, how big of a series it could be, essentially. Like, because, you know, next time, you know, Promen and Delos, you know, find another, you know, Titan, well, they're just gonna do the same stuff, you know, just, you know, uh, destroy it, you know, like they did. You know, and uh, so I wonder how how much like how much material Mira could extract from the story. Essentially, that's my question. You know, I wonder how how many volumes he could do with a series sure. like that. Uh, well, I mean, I'm sure he would add you know extra complications, just as you know, Berserk didn't. You know, it wasn't just guts fighting apostles. You know, like is the Black yeah. Swordsman because I mean that would be an easy way. That's that's a way that you know story could have gone. Where he just kept going to different towns and fighting different yeah. apostles, but obviously, I mean, when you think about it, this is a good transition. <laughs> yeah, the the whole flashback into the golden age is sort of an insane departure from you know the, what the show, I mean, what the the series was set up to be. Yeah, where it's like you think you have an idea, it's repeated. You know, there's a couple of uh, reiterations of you know that concept, and then it just you know does a complete departure and turns into something else. For a good long time, to the yeah. point where that becomes the you know the the main idea of the series for a while. I also think 
And just responding to what Azil just said, um, the genre in itself, correct me if I'm wrong, is rather cyclical anyway. These giant mecha-style stories are are kind of cyclical by nature. Uh, it's often yeah. an, a big force with a, an army of giants and then one super human force with a giant or something like that, you know what I'm saying, in general. Yeah, but, you know, I don't think, like, Mira would follow that. Oh, yeah, I, I know. I, what I'm saying is... It would be it would be fine if he did follow the tropes of the genre. He doesn't necessarily need to, but I, of course, I would rather have the Miura type story, a little more nuanced, a little more interesting than the standard yeah. fare. I, I think he would touch uh, upon the you know the gods of Olympus, but you know, uh, like eventually. But you know, the other what Griff said, you know, like that brings it to mind. Like these guys are also like you know, like they could be seen to be like the gold hand, you know, stuff like that. So I actually really wonder how that how it would go because you know I don't think. He would want to make it, you know, like not berserk, you know, differently. So I don't think he would repeat, you know, the same, mm-hmm. you know, how to say, the same patterns, you know. Sure. So yeah, but that's just, you know, speculation. I mean, it's just, you know, could talk about it for hours without going anywhere. <laughs> well, I mean, for all we know, this this bonus episode is going to be the bridge between berserk and uh, this series. I mean, we'll find yeah. out that this this is Zod and his human life. You know. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! What a what a backstory! Yeah, incredible. A lot happened in that thousand year gap. Jeez, <laughs> why he gets along so well with Sonya? I mean, just yeah. There you yeah, have probably, it. Probably could be the Skull Knight. You know, <laughs> that, would be a, that would be a good one. Ugh. I I take it back. I was just kidding anyway. <laughs> she does. She does kind of look like Flora. I don't know. <laughs> I see it. I love the final the final page. I really, I really like it a lot. Uh, in, in addition to just the sunset, the fact that uh, Delos makes Prome essentially blush and she returns to her little ball form for a second. I thought that was cute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. And then you know, just walking into the sunset in the desert. You know, yeah. He's got this classical you know style thing. It's like a yeah. western. You know, yeah, it's really great. I'm pretty Ooh, sure. Go ahead. We enjoy the way it ended so much. Is it too is it too soon to you know feel nostalgic about it and be upset that a bonus episode is going to come out and possibly ruin the good <laughs> feelings we have about the end? Oh man! Oh, what a no, that, <laughs> that's why that's why I don't think this next issue is going to continue the story, but merely add a little more context. Just just yeah. because the way this issue ends is so perfect that I, I can't imagine what he would add to that. That again wouldn't feel kind of like a stinger, like you're saying. That's why I yeah. think it's going to be previous material. Yeah, it's also the first thing I thought when, uh, you know, uh, we saw, like, the ending and, you know, thinking about the fact there would be uh, another, you know, addition to the thing is, like, you know, what, what, where could it go from that? Like, that's the perfect way to end it. Yeah. So that's what makes me think it has to be, like, an epilogue, you know, maybe showing how they met or something like that. But it can't possibly continue this thing because... Like you guys said, it just it ended, it ends perfectly, you know, and there's nothing to add to that. I think it would actually, yeah, it would, you know, uh, how to say, you know, lower the way it ends, you know, to try to continue it. I was hoping you could elaborate on something you said, and I hope you remember, and I'm, if I'm putting it on the spot, let me know. But after you, I kind of caught you as you were reading this episode because I had sent it to you. And you said something about how the way the ending was, it made you respect Mira more as a storyteller. And I didn't have time to kind of grill you on what you meant because I've been very intermittent on chats recently. But could you kind of elaborate on what you meant by that? Do you have anything more to say than you already have today? Well, you know, the thing is, you know, it's more about, you know, uh, 
it's because it ended in a way that's really very well rounded to me. Like, you know, like, you know, it, it closes, everything gets closure, you know, and the way, the way it ends, like the way the battle ends, you know, Mm -hmm. and, uh, the emotions feeling, uh, how to say, um, Delos, you know, shows, you know, Mm -hmm. and the fact his, his character actually really impresses me, you know, because Mira managed to make a character that's, it's a, a fighting man, you know, it's something like, like, like he would say, you know, like a fighting hero, you know, uh, you know, virile, you know, hero, masculine and strong and stuff like that. But at the same time, he's, you know, as different from guts as he can be, you know, like even though he's, you know, a kind of hero like that, you know, where he just loves life. He doesn't feel hatred. He thinks it's like pretty much, you know, uh, a sentiment for losers, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and he just, you know, hates war and stuff like that. And actually, that's, you know, I was impressed that he managed to to play it off like that. And uh, and yeah, the way it, it ended and stuff. I don't remember exactly, you know, what it's I was fun. thinking at the time because it was like a month ago. Yeah, I know. But yeah, I, I, I can tell you these things, you know, really, you know, impressed me. And I was just, you know, like, you know, the closure to the whole story really impressed me. And yeah. uh, actually, this story by itself, you know, I, I find it really pretty great. I think it's really, you know, like the way it encompasses, like you know a greek myth like i think this started as a uh, mura wanted to just wanting to make a story a cool story about giants fighting because he likes these kind of things you know mm-hmm. and, and so and he managed to make a story that's a tribute to you know like the first like the original uh you know uh giant you know fighting story which is you know like greek mythology and at the same time he did all these cool references to tech to technology and stuff but you know, doing, going at it, you know, organically, you know, with, you know, biotechnologies instead of just, you know, doing mechanical stuff that, you know, that's already been done. And I'm, I'm rambling a bit, but what I want to say is just, he managed to make a perfect homage to everything at once. And it's very well rounded. And he uses, you know, like, you know, I, I remember you guys were saying like, oh, it's wrestling or stuff like that. You know, wrestling, like I said, you know, I think on a previous podcast, it was a very, you know, important part of Greek mythology. So the fact the guy actually uses wrestling, it's, you know, very clever. And it's also a way to have a hero that's not using a sword, you know, so it's not like guts, you know. Sure. And all these things go together so well, you know, like everything fits perfectly. So, you know, that's what makes me think, you know, like, I don't think you can get many stories like that. Like, you know, if Mura had only done Gigantomachy and not Berserk and not knowing, you know, anything other about him, I would, I would still find this story to be quite fucking amazing because of the way it's done. Like, everything is perfect about it. At least that's how I feel. Yeah, I actually hadn't thought about how he's able to blend the, the, the setting in itself. You know, initially we were talking about a sci-fi, so it's going to be the far future, but, you know, it is a far past type of setting. Uh, if you disregard the bioengineering and things like that, there's that, and there's also the fact that it's drawn from a Greek myth while also referencing modern giant, you know, manga and anime. So I, I had not considered the fact that he is kind of doing a hybrid of, of all these things. That is really cool. Yeah, but, and it's also like I mean, and the wrestling thing is also a big thing in Japanese culture. So that's also another thing like he played on, you know, knowing that he himself. Like, he did a lot of judo in uh, high school, and uh, he likes, you know, fighting sports. So it's right. also some things that plays into it. I have to say my apprehension to the wrestling part is merely because, as an American, wrestling here is just kind of a joke sport. It's it's a, Wait, it's a big... I mean, you know, what about Hulk Hogan? I mean... <laughs> yeah, well, this is exactly what I'm talking about. 
You know, I mean, the, the, the sport in itself is such a, has such a stigma around it here in the States that maybe it's different worldwide. It's just here, wrestling is just kind of like a, it's, a, it's pandering shit, basically. And that's well, I mean, unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, it's a well, sport history. I mean, so. amateur wrestling is the real pro wrestling. I mean, that's the real actual wrestling. Whereas I think in the rest of the world, I mean, well, there's exceptions. I mean, they have, you know, like WWE style wrestling around the world. But I mean, in other countries, you know, wrestling, there's more real wrestling. Right. Like legitimate wrestling that people watch. Whereas here we watch, you know, sort of the entertainment, you know, show version. Right. The Undertaker. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Undefeated, you know, in WrestleMania. <laughs> Where it's like, you know, yeah, and he's, what, 60 years old? <laughs> it's just a pretty gross genre. At least the part that's put on center stage for here in the States. And again, it's probably different internationally. And it's just these two things combining that make me think I'm kind of turned off by it. But I didn't have a problem with it ultimately. I thought it was pretty cool. Like I said, that was my initial exposure to the the fight fighting style and all that. Anyway, anybody else have any other impressions about Gigantomachia? We kind of ran the gamut of what we could say about it, I think. I hope they don't ruin it with that bonus episode. <laughs> I'm really, I'm really, honestly, I can't tell if we're joking or not because, like, I, that is not even a concern of mine. I'm actually just more excited yeah. about what the potential may be. The, the 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 thought of it of it ruining something has not even crossed my mind. No, I'm, I am kidding. I mean, I don't think you could ruin it. I mean, it's well, you know, it's one of these things where it was, you know, very sort of elegantly wrapped up. So, you know, yeah. I hope what I mean, I hope what, however this you know works as a companion to it. You know, it, sure. that, yeah. that is how it works. That it does, you know, just sort of, you know. I guess my first thought was honestly like a it was like a huh, uh, like huh, there is going to be that. I don't know. I wonder how it's going to fit in. Was basically all I've really thought about it. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, uh, like, I think uh, Mura, you know, uh, more than us, like, knows that it, it was wrapped elegantly, you know? So, yeah, sure, sure. Like, he's the last one, you know? Like, that's even, you know, even discussing it is, yeah, it makes me feel a bit stupid because, like, yeah, obviously the guy who did the thing <laughs> is not going to fucking ruin it, you know? Like, that's, uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah. We're making too much of Griffith's joke. We'll move on. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I mean, wait a minute. What about George Lucas? I mean, never mind. Just <laughs> oh, <laughs> crazy. That that doesn't always work as a principle. I I mean, I I, I hear you with Mira, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Of course, yeah. I mean, yeah. Someone well, no, the of... thing that that makes me not think that you know there's any anything wrong with a bonus episode is I'm sure it comes from you know an organic desire on Mira's part. Like he he had something else he wanted to say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's sure. You know, that was, I'm sure, the impetus for him doing it. He was like, "Oh, you know what? I kind of, I wanna, I wanna do a little extra." Yeah, and it's interesting that it was done at the last minute because, like, he plans the thing to, like, the story to fit into one volume, you know, like a standard size. So it's actually going to be a bit big, you know, uh, with a bonus thing, like not, you know, huge or anything like that. But yeah, it's going, it's gonna be a bit bigger than. Uh, than standard, I guess. So, yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I'm really, you know, interested to, to see what, what it would be like. How much of this, how much of this year do you think Mira spent on developing Gigantomachia, or do you think he spent this year on Berserk? Well, you know, actually, that's a good question. I, I, I used to, I think originally I thought, you know, uh, he, like he spent, like he, he had done it before, like you know, yeah. a bit earlier. But uh, now I, I'm wondering. I'm wondering. I think I think he he has done it. You know, like I, I would have to check out. You know, the you know when this you know big you know break started. I, I think he did it before, and like this whole year, 
or at least, you know, like the past, you know, four months he's been working on Berserk. To me, it's like that. Or maybe taking a rest, you know, I, I don't know, but I think he's resumed, you know, uh, putting his focus on Berserk for a while. But that being said, if he has started, like, if he decided to do, you know, a, a last minute, you know, bonus for Gantomakas, and, uh, you know, at the same time, it means like he's recently been working on it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, but I think yeah, other than that, other than this, you know, bonus episode, he's been working on on Berserk, you know, like uh, for the past few months, and so I think, um, you know, we're going to get uh, a streak of episodes, you know, uh, you know, a, a pretty decent one. I, I think this year will be a good year for for Young Animal in that, you know, they will have you know quite a few uh, Berserk episodes. Yeah, that being the case, it is going to be a big year for Berserk. Just if we've stated almost every single episode we've recorded that there are a number of things on the horizon for the story. And is this year going to be the year for a lot of those? I have to think it is to a certain extent. I do think we're going to get to Elfhelm this year. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, hey, yeah. I don't want to say that's for sure. Oh it's man. Fucking a. I've been saying that since 2002. <laughs> a lot. You just jinxed us again. Five more yeah. years. You know, jeez. <laughs> oh, yeah. we won't be seeing Griffiths for a while. Wasn't that what you said after, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I still, I still owe Griffith a shoe on that bet. It's been like, 14 years. Oh my god, yeah. I mean, it's like, we're like Dr. Claw, but next time, <laughs> next time. Uh, for those that don't know, a quick joke is that, you know, uh, when Griffith uh, came back, when Femto was incarnated in volume 21, uh, the way that episode ended with it being a very dramatic departure and a big dramatic moment, at the time I'd said, well, given how dramatic that was, I guess we won't be seeing Griffith for a while. And then someone, I think it was Griffith, said, no, there's still a chance you could come back and have that conversation with Gus. And I was like, no way. There is absolutely no way. It doesn't make sense pacing-wise. I mean, you were right in this, you know, the fact that, well, you know, they would have had it right there, you know, if they were going to yeah. have it. But then it was like, yeah, we get a break. First, you know, Guts goes home and then Griffith shows up to talk to him and Nick's like, yeah. oh, it's too hectic there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was, you know. Right. So I, I told Griffith, I'll bet you a flip-flop that uh, that was, that'll be the case. And I lost completely, so... I've never emailed them that flip. I've never mailed them that flip flop. I'll, I'll I'll scan one for you and send you the that, image of that's it. That's okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just cool. a picture will be fine. Yeah. Well, um, we'll continue our reread project. We're on to volume five now. Um, this was going to be the volume where I said I probably won't have as much to say about it uh, because a lot of it does occupy uh, Zod's uh, entrance, and that's kind of it. Uh, some character development. I mean, obviously we're going to get into specifics, of course, but in, in terms of development for the story, there's not a lot I would like to focus on. But of course, I'm not going to stand against anything. I just don't think we're, we're going to have as much to say about it. Well, we'll see. I, I, that's kind of why I'm interested in seeing how this goes because I don't have a lot written down. I so. think this is like you know the we're going to get to Elfhelm this year. You know, oh, we won't have much to say about this yeah. volume. You know, we say that every volume, and then you know it's like an hour and a half later. It's like, well, we're about well, halfway through. Uh, <laughs> we will see. Again, uh, this volume opens up with continuing the assault. Sorry, not the assault. They're leading this force to the, uh, the, the front of this castle where they get blown up. Guts gets caught up in, uh, drawing them away and Griffith has to come rescue him. Uh, the first note I have is that, of course, that's significant twofold because it establishes Guts' value within the Falcons because he was able to do all this almost all by himself. And also because, you know, 
Griffith actually goes out of his way to rescue him. Griffith makes it to the front lines and then turns around immediately when he hears that Guts hasn't made it. You know, it's significant because even already then, Guts was important to him, and it was, it was important to have Guts survive that battle. What one thing I I, I have to say about it is uh, I find it interesting that this battle is a bit like it's it's quite intense for Guts. You know, yeah. Like it's not an easy battle for him. He's you know put into trouble, and you know Griffiths you know goes back to get him along with Pippin and Judo, but uh, it's not without reason. Like, you know, when they arrive, he's about to, you know, get into trouble. We don't know exactly if he would have, you know, made it or not, but, like, he was into serious trouble. So mm-hmm. I, I find it interesting because, like, for a beginning of a volume, you know, I always found that volume four and five are cut in a way that's maybe not optimal, you know? Yeah, I agree. And uh, and the thing yeah. is, the, the, at least it was as a downside and everything, but the good side is that, like, the volume starts... Like it's right into it. Like it's a it's a battle scene that you know gets quickly very intense. So it's a it's a pretty intense start. And uh, well, yeah, that's about it. Otherwise, I agree with what you said. Well, another interesting way to look at it is that for the first, you know, Griffith has sort of found guts limit. You know, right away he gives him. You know, he actually puts him. He gives him a task that he's worthy of, rather than like having him just be another soldier. Or yeah. something he's, you know, dramatically overqualified for. You know, he can give him this really sort of intense job where it's like, oh, yeah, you're going to be holding them all off by yourself, you know, because yeah. I know you could I have faith that you can handle this job. And, you know, to the point where it's like it's it's a little overwhelming for him. And so yeah. it's just interesting to see that because we don't usually see him, you know, in a situation where he's overwhelmed, you know, until and this he, point, and- unless it's a monster. He, he actually does, uh, he, like, he does an exemplary job of it because, you know, everybody else comments on it. He, he actually saves Ricker's life and, uh, you know, yeah. the other guys, you know, later on say, you know, thank him and pretty much everybody comments on the fact he really did a, b- a banger job uh, on it, you know, so. Or like when he was given the job, I mean, I, if I remember Corcus is, you know, like saying, you know, oh yeah, well, we're going to be rid of him. You know, Griffith is giving him like death duty, basically, you know, setting yeah. him up to die. But Casca <laughs> realizes, you know, no, he actually believes the guy, you know. Is up to the challenge. Yeah. And we get to see, uh, there's a pretty cool, you know, like that's for the guy who loves Pippin, you know, on the forum, you know, there's a pretty cool, you know, scene with Pippin in there where some yeah. guys about to strike on Griffiths and Guts and, you know, suddenly there's a shot of Pippin as a huge, you know, shape with his, you know, mace ready and just blasts the guy away. So it's one of the <laughs> coolest scenes of Pippin. Like he's got a few, he doesn't have, you know, he's not often put forward, but you know, like the few scenes he's got are pretty fucking cool. And that's one of them. Yeah. He's very imposing looking on that page. Also like the following shot, the actual action shot where, uh, his mace is, is, is in motion. And so is the body, but Pippin's body is stalwart, you know, Just yeah. Yeah. effect like a, on the, on the page. Like a rock. Right. And there's those googly eyes, of course, you know, going oh, out of the Yeah. <laughs> I had a Ghostbusters toy that did that. Oh, I had that one too. It was Egon. Actually. Yeah. Rest in peace. Um, That's our tribute. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's also significant, of course, for Guts that Griffith comes back for him. Uh, that yeah. He has companions now. You know, Guts is not used to people that will fight alongside him like that. Right, it's been a while at least for him. We have to, of course, we have to remember. While it's only been a few pages since he was with Gambino's band, for him it's been a couple of years where he's been fighting by himself with no friends, yeah. no companions. You know, for so, you know, he's he's sort of taken on that so. selfish attitude. You know, yeah, you know, sort of you know all for everyone for themselves. And you know, he's he immediately questions Griffith. You know, you like why you know why did you put yourself in harm's way to come back for me? Which you know obviously becomes a theme. 
Yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, it's underlined later on, you know, when they you know celebrate, like you know, he's up there on the on the you know fortifications, mm-hmm. and you know when the others come for him, you know, judo everybody, he he's very reluctant to participate into the festivities, you know, like they have to drag him and everything like that. So yeah. I I think like this volume, you know, uh, the early parts of this volume really emphasize the fact that guts is not used. To being with people who are comrades to him, like he even comments, you know, uh, about it to judo a bit later on. But uh, one thing I wanted to say just before we talk about that is, you know, we see a shot of the guys, uh, the Falcons have been working for, like for this, you know, raid, who are concerned about Griffiths, like you know, talents, the fact he's brilliant and you know, ambitious and everything like that. And I think it's interesting that this early on is a story. You see these guys who are just local guys and nobodies, but. They're already worried about, like, you know, his prowess in battle and, you know, as a tactician. So it's really, you know, like it prepares the story for, you know, the politics that come later on with, you know, the big lords and stuff. Yeah, and it happens so quick as well. Uh, it's just a one little page of exposition, but it gives you a sense of what the aristocracy thinks of this uh, kind of super successful small band of mercenaries. Yeah, it's really, it's like, yeah, just a few panels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then it sort of transitions into, yeah, Griffith and his men. It's but also yeah, interesting. It's interesting. I'm sorry, I'll cut you off. Go ahead. I was just going to reiterate that, yeah, it immediately establishes that order of things. Right. And not, not only that, though, is that they are, the, the Falcons to these guys are, you know, a dangerous but useful uh, group, you know, they're super successful. They can ally with them, but they they kind of see where this might lead. You know, yeah, and it's it's interesting to readers to to see that you know there is probably more to this to that little insight than just that little exchange. Of course, there is. Yeah, seeing guts interact with everyone is cute. Rickard's ears are just something out of this world, man. They're fucking. <laughs> yeah, deal with with his ears kind of emphasizes his young him being young, of course. Yeah. Space and it's uh what's interesting to see that you know uh you know the general guys among the Falcons seem to accept guts after this first mission you know yeah uh, like it was also a way for him to prove himself and uh, the fact he's reliable and everybody seems to accept him now he like he's part of the gang you know yeah yeah it's, it's, it it is cool and I love the way Pippin oh I don't love the way but then when Pippin grabs him you know you have to understand being in gut state of mind this is a large man grabbing me against my will of course i'm going to elbow him in the face you know yeah why well, it's you know it's interesting because yeah his uh stoicism is quite you know like you can see the others are all you know like yeah. judo and ricard are a bit worried but <laughs> doesn't even, he doesn't even reply he just you know yeah. keep going down so yeah, it's pretty funny <laughs> and guts is you know what you said earlier about him being wary, you know, it's a bit, you know, like he's, you know, throughout the first part, you know, of this until the flashback, he's very, you know, how to say, very wary of, you know, of them. And he's not used to, you know, mercenaries being, you know, friendly like that, you know, like, you know, when Rickard, you know, thanks him for saving his life, he just says he was doing his job, you know. Right. So it's, you know, it goes to show his state of mind, even though these guys are a bit different from normal mercenaries. He at this point is not. He's, you know, still a guy like that just, you know, staying alone and watching his back and, you know, not trusting everybody, anybody. Yeah. I absolutely love the last shot of the page of the, of the, of the episode with, uh, outside is all dark and in the inside is, it's like the whole city's being kept up late by their celebration, 
with the the, the fact that the, the fire is emanating from their camp. I thought that was a cool little detail. Yeah, that's right. Actually, I never paid attention to that page. Actually, you know, now that you say so, but it's uh, the starry sky is you know pretty fucking nice. Yeah, I like I like it a lot. And uh, whenever we come back to guts after the party, uh, he's been. Yeah, I was just going to say something interesting is that sure. we we get to see a shot of Casca who herself actually stays away, you know, from the you know you know festivities. Oh, she, she actually she actually stays away and watches. And like no, nobody comes together, but uh, but yeah, she actually stays away just like guts, you know, with a sword on her shoulder and everything. So it's interesting, and she watches, she watches him, and she watches Griffiths watching him. You know, I actually really that really is an interesting panel, and maybe there's not much more to say about it than you already did. But could it be because she's a woman, she can't engage in the same festivities? Why, well, you know, I think she just feels isolated because of Guts, you know, presence and his new status, you know, that she sees, you know, in the group that she sees, you know, I mean, other, you know, Corcus sees it too. He's got this favored status, even with Griffith. And I think that just alienates her. Sure. Uh, I think that's I mean, the- she, she's, you know, she joins in later when they have festivities when things are a bit more comfortable. I don't think it's, you know. Okay. I mean, that's yeah. of course, what you said is, of course, the story implications of why she stays away. Yeah. Kind of just meaning if there's a meta reason for that. or I, I think it's I'm, also a, a matter of, you know, her personality. I think she, you know, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if she was a type to, how to say, uh, you know, to skip on these things, like, you know, more regularly than not, you know, mm-hmm. like not to partake. Like we get to see in the next episode, like that judo is pretty much uh a booze hound, you know, like he, he goes up to Guts and like, hey, I want a drink. And he's like, yeah, no, no way, man. But, uh, which is actually, it's interesting. It's another thing that, you know, like, you know, shows a little bit about characters like Gus, you know, he has had his feel, but, you know, Judo's still going at it. So yeah. it's just, you know, these little things that, you know, add, you know, how to say death to the characters without really looking like it. But in any case, yeah, I think I think Casca, you know, staying uh, apart from it is, you know, part of a character. And uh, I don't know, may- maybe being a woman also plays into it. I don't think it excludes her by default, but I think it might play a role in her feeling isolated. You know, not just by guts, but she's right. different. She's different and, you know, people comment on it, you know, like enemies often regularly comment on it, you know. Throughout the story, but I think, yeah, it's, uh, it's like something that's natural, you know, for her to be different. Right. And I think that's part of the story that Mira, Mira could always say more of, but it was never the focus of the story. Is that it's sort of an implicit understanding that because she is a woman, she's not, a, she is different from the rest. And, and, you know, he touches on it a little bit, but I, I think it's a, it's a pretty important point that maybe the chord isn't rung quite as loud as it could have been. I don't know. Well, you know, the thing is, uh, it's a story about guts, you know. I know it is. <laughs> she's, she's just, you know, yeah, but yeah, it, it, it is interesting and, uh, it, it could be, like, it would be interesting to develop it, like, you know, it could even be interesting for Mura to make a story about a woman warrior, but, uh, in that context, but, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not what this well, is. My take overall on it is just that, yeah, in this case, there's, you know, she's feeling the personal alienation because of guts presence, you know, and that sort of disrupting the order of things, you know, as far as she's concerned. But later on, when we do see her participating in these groups with her men and everything, she's always very, she she doesn't, you know, I mean, yeah, Corcus and Judo and uh, even Pippin, they're sort of, you know, they like to go have fun with the boys and guts will participate in that too. 
Whereas she's, you know, she's a little more serious. Yeah, she's all like, business, you know, she's, man. Yeah, she takes things a little more seriously than they do. Whereas, you know, they're shown as sort of like that once they're on their off time, they will they will totally goof off. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can't believe we didn't talk about this on the Casca podcast, but she kind of has to play that role because she yeah. is an out, she is an outsider. She is already alienated by even by her sex. You know, of, of course, she's going to be different from the rest. So and well, she has to yeah. a little more. Uh, exemplary of a soldier because she's always going to be looked down on. So, yeah. Especially since she's pretty much like Griffith's right hand woman, you know, at that, at that point. So, but yeah, and yeah, and there's a fact, I mean, we could, you know, Mira doesn't get into it, but we could, you know, get to the fact that, you know, our mercenary camps, usually women are, you know, either, you know, servants or prostitutes or things like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, for she would her, have to be, I mean, if you want to get in the full real world implications, she would have to be more careful. Yeah, you know, pretty much. That's that's kind of what I was implying uh, yeah. with her being away from these particular festivities. Maybe she has to keep her distance because of that potential when a bunch of drunk guys get together. Yeah, stuff can happen, you know. Like you know, she gets drunk. They all get drunk, you know. And you know, before you know it, you know. So yeah. So you know, again, you know, Mira doesn't get into it, and because of the you know camaraderie that you know reigns, it's a band of the right. Falcon. You know, I don't think that would really be you know, but you know. Girls yeah. to be careful. It's the same way that you know. I take the subway. I never give a shit. But you know, girls I know. You know, they look. You know, they make sure there's no weird guy or some creep. You know, and you know these things. You know, women. You know, have to be aware of these things, whereas men don't necessarily do it. Yeah. Right. Strange turn this talk has taken. I did not <laughs> expect to talk about Casca in this issue very much, but. Uh... Yeah, it's a definitely a good point and good call on that panel. I just totally skipped it. Uh, the next part of this is uh, Judo and Guts kind of grilling Judo about Griffith, which has kind of been concerning Guts about who is this guy I'm dedicating myself to. He wants to know more about him because he's he intrigues him, but he's also a curiosity in a number of ways. One of the most interesting parts to me in this was his duality. The He has a boyish face and he can also have a serious face. We, we talked a lot about that in the three-part Griffith podcast, but... Here, uh, it's even an enigma for Judo when, when, uh, yeah. that quizzes him on it, you know, what, what it is it about Griffith that makes people dedicated to him. What, what things that interest me is that, you know, from where it gets to that, like Gus is first, you know, like he's up early and reflecting, you know, on things and he wonders why the band itself is different from other mercenaries. And then Judo says it's because of Griffith, you know. Yeah. Because it didn't, it didn't come up to to guts, you know, at first, and uh, and yeah, what you say, uh, he 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 can say he's enigmatic and he's got you know several aspects and such, you know, but you know he pretty much ends up just by saying that he's just a natural leader, you know, somebody that will you know gather people around him, attract people, and you know, I think it's an interest, it's a very important talk because it establishes the ambivalence of you know Griffith's character, you know, the way. He can be, you know, boss. He can seem boss, nice, and, you know, not so nice at times. And, mm-hmm. of course, you know, at that point, I don't know. I think, it's, you know, it's, I think it's a pretty important talk for, you know, establishing, you know, his character and how subtle he can be. Right. Uh, and then we have a water fight. <laughs> That's very wacky. And uh, well, it's interesting that- I think it gets into the depths of their competitive nature. And, oh, no, I'm just kidding. Come on. <laughs> no, uh, what? I, mean, no, I, I, do, I, I know you're, you're going to do it. 
No, no, but you know, I think. Well, you know, it shows uh, first. It shows of Griffith's childish side, which is course, you yeah. know, pretty much what Judo was talking about a bit earlier. But yeah, it also shows not not necessarily the competitive side, but guts. You know, like the the way he yeah he has to he get has the to, last uh... he has to get the last one. You know, I think yeah, it, it it is a clue into his personality and the fact he just won't fucking stop. You know, like you know he can't. Even Griffith himself comments on it. You know. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, you can also see Griffith as, you know, being a bad sport there where it's like, <laughs> you know, yeah. he just didn't want to get, you know, or he, he like actually, he pulls rank on him all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty to much. A degree. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I agree, yeah. Well, it's, it's uh, again, a uh, sort of scene that, you know, shows more than, you know, meets the eye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot meets the eye. <laughs> <laughs> Only the back end. Yeah, um... You guys, you guys are like kids. No, seriously. <laughs> I it's it's hard seen... to not comment when the main character, one of the main characters, is suddenly naked. I'm, I have to comment on. I'm sorry. You know, I didn't even pay attention to that. You know, because oh, that's sure. like you know. Well, I mean, no well, I mean, I just have to. You know, when you got naked water fights, it just yeah, it does. It touches on the kid and everyone. I mean, let me put it this way: Have you ever been in a naked water fight, Azil? Oh, uh, yeah, man. I don't even remember. Maybe as a kid, you know. Yeah, I might I, bl- have. I blacked out. Maybe not Maybe not naked, but, you know, yeah. I don't know. In a swimsuit? I don't know. Uh, directly after the fight, of course, the attention goes to the Bahira. <laughs> and I love that it gets another full-page reveal, similar to how we got in volume at the end of Volume 1. It's really drawing yeah. attention to it like, hey, guys, this is the thing. It's a return of the Beherit. Right. Yeah. It's interesting because of the fact it's not in color, like the black and white, you know, manga. We we can't see that it's not the same color as the ones the apostles use, you know? That's a good point. I love the detail on it, too, that this clasp was fashioned onto it. You can see the little, like, cracks in the Behirid itself. Yeah. This metal thing was fashioned to it. It gives it a little more of a a sense of what this thing must be like to hold. It's like a rock or, or, or something, you know? It's interesting. A small little detail. Anyway, it animates for guts, and he kind of freaks out. And Griffith doesn't seem to care about this creepy, weird thing. And I wonder if he's ever seen an anime. I have to assume he does. But the yeah. fact that he reacts instantly to guts, you know, uh, is is interesting. But uh, probably not I'm, necessarily. I kind of wonder about that myself. Whether did Griffith see the eyeball thing, and that's what he's commenting on? Like, yeah, isn't that neat? You know, like which is sort of like, like are you, are you insane? <laughs> It's like, yeah, whereas the says, other aspect is, does he, does he not see it? And does he just think Guts was, you know, like, you know, grossed out or had some weird moment, but then was like, hey, pretty cool, huh? Well, there's but, a lot where Griffith, Griffith does say it's like it's almost alive. And so yeah, I yeah. assume he'd seen it move. And the interesting thing, what, what I took away with it is, is his face is just like, oh, it's sure his fucking neat, this weird thing that's is to be alive on a stone with... You no, know, but you know, you know, he says it's almost alive. If it opened its eye at him and looked at him, you'd think he would just know, oh, wait, this thing's alive. So that's what it, it still makes me wonder. Yeah. You know, well, not to talk about that, but the thing I take out of the, of the scene is that, like, the way they don't really seem to care about it, you know, once it's over. You know what I mean? Like, they move on pretty quickly from that. So I think it shows whole, you know, First off, you know, it's a pretty low fantasy setting right there. You know, fantasy has a low profile, but it just establishes that it's pretty natural for weird shit to happen. You know, like even Guts is freaked out, but then he doesn't really care. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think it establishes the fact, 
Like, we don't get to see a lot of fantastic things, you know, in this part of the story. You know, it's mostly just, you know, humans, between humans, wearing, you know, waging war. But, uh, yeah, it establishes that, you know, these things exist and they're there. And people are not necessarily surprised, like, when they see them or that they exist. You know, they don't really question them. It's just there. Right. It's it's also a reminder of things to come. And it's an, it's an ominous little moment, to, too, because we know what Behirits are at this point, And we know that this guy now has one. You know, it's very... <laughs> Uh, scary. Yeah, but but it's interesting that it's put in in such a way that, like, it's in a context where it's totally not ominous. You know what I mean? Like the yeah. behavior itself. It's a novel, got, basically. Yeah, it it has got its you know some kind of like this eye and everything. It's a bit you know sinister, but you know well, the context of the scene and the fact it's everything is you know with a white backdrop, you know, as a you know point yeah. of the day, you know, yeah. or something like that. It's, and plus, you know, I mean, following their like, yeah, the the water fight, and it's like they're like kids looking at it. You know, that's how Griffith's attitude is with it. You know, yeah. he's like a little kid. I mean, this the the innocence is overflowing. You know, and we know just how overly innocent you know they're being about. It, since yeah. we know what's to come and the fact he got it you know from a gypsy woman or stuff like that he's pretty much just you know like any other you know uh, how to say I forgot the word for it it's, it's how it's always been introduced to people it's, it, 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 yeah. it, it connects with the other behirit uh, inheritance is that what you're trying to say no I was trying to say like a Fuck, what is it called you know a small thing like a, a small necklace or something like that sure a trinket yeah, a trinket. Fuck, that's what. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah, it's just pretty much a trinket for him. Right, brings him good luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's pretty much it. You know, I mean, that's who he is. It. Yeah, I don't have a lot to say about what Griffith says to Guts, other than the visuals of it. I, I love how uh, the, the way the light comes in. Griffith's too basically because he's put himself uh, with his back to the sun. He's too bright to look at the way the sun is is casting down. He's also casting his own shadow as as well, which I thought was cool. And there's the the birds as well, very cool looking, all yeah. made of light basically. I I think I think his talk is you know quite memorable again. You know, I mean, it shows off his you know his crazy ambition while you know sure. still yeah. you know retaining that you know like he's a simple guy. He's almost a kid, you know, aspect. But you know his ambition is you know pretty it's crazy. naked ambition. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, but sorry, but but you know, like, <laughs> uh, sorry, it took you five seconds to laugh to that. I was reading. Yeah, yeah, fine. Anyway, you know, I want to say that, you know, it's interesting that even though he's telling God that he'll die, you know, that he owns him and he'll you know decide when he where he should die. It's not really you know drawn in a threatening way or nothing is really threatening about it, despite the enormity of what he says, you know. So. <clears throat> I think it's a it's a pretty faithful line, and uh, it's a throwback to you know uh, their encounter as Guts and Fento in Volume Three, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's done in a way that's not non-threatening, and uh, like you said, with the yeah. white backdrops, the birds, and everything like that. And Griffiths, of course, with the sun behind him, looks very charismatic. So I, I find it interesting, and there's also the fact that before that, when Guts asks him again why he you know went back to save him, he answers what I think is pretty much the naked truth, you know. Which is that uh, he, you know, like he found, you know, some things that's, you know, great and he just won't let it be wasted, you know, on a, <clears throat> a battle that doesn't matter. So, right. you know, I, I mean, I, think- I never thought about it until we looked at this scene, you know, sort of analyzed it, you know, scene by scene here. But <laughs> this whole scene sort of perfectly encapsulates, you know, the confusion 
you know, the turmoil in their relationship from, you know, Guts apprehension to them, you know, the to them playing around, you know, Guts opening up, you know, along with Griffith, you know, then they're like kids, you know, I mean, first it establishes this sort of homoeroticism along with them being like innocent children. And then Griffith as this commander, you know, and who's going to decide his death and doesn't care for him. I mean, it's a lot of conflicting. And there's, know, a, re- there's right a, a, a rivalry about it, you know, like about yeah. the water fight. There's also that, that aspect, you know, this early on is that Guts just, you know, he's not going to, to be submitted or subjugated, you know, even though, you know, Griffith actually defeated him earlier. It's not like he's, you know, abandoned. He still wants to be, you know, like, you know, yeah. his own guy and he's not, you know, considering himself inferior to him. Unlike most other people, I guess. Yeah, but there's also, there's clearly confusion on Griffith's part about, you know, how he sees them because, you know, he's obviously, you know, he, at the end he sort of stiffens up and, you know, goes on this big declaration, but that's not how he's behaved towards him, you know, up until that point. So, I mean, even he doesn't, you know, he, you can sort of see the seeds of him not really knowing what he's doing where Guts is concerned. Well, I don't know about that, but, well, I think it's pretty clear, you know? Well, I guess we'll just, uh, disagree to agree there. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. just, you know. I can't, I can't weigh in because I wasn't listening, sorry. Damn it. You know. <laughs> but, uh, no, I was just saying how, you know, there's, there's already all these sort of, sort of conflicting facets to their relationship, you know, ending with, you know, Griffith sort of trying to reestablish the order of, you know, you belong to me, you'll die when I say you die. But obviously he's already sort of friended him in a way where, you know, he doesn't seem to mess around with, you know, his other men like that. Mm. Well, I agree right. about that, but I think it's, uh, you know, like I, I take this part of his declaration as a sub, you know, a subset of when what he says about, you know, taking his own country. I think at this point he already sees guts as kind of his friend and, you know, a very valuable asset. But at the same time, he's still, you know, like, he's already persuaded that Guts will pretty much serve him until, you know, he dies. You know what I mean? But yeah, but it's also sort of the the lie of, you know, like, you know, they're always, why did you come back to rescue me? It's this, oh, just because you're, you know, you're valuable to me, you know, for my purposes. But, you know, we know eventually, you know, if it's not already, you know, like if he's not already, you know, sort of deluding himself on that point, then, you know, later it will become clear. Well, I, I, I think the answer is 100% honestly right there. I do believe him when he says that. I don't yeah. think he's deluding himself with what Griffith says now. I think it's later when the years pass and they become closer and Gus becomes even more integral that things are quite a bit different for how Griffith feels. And he, he doesn't come to accept that. Here, he's just being honest. He's just the commanding guy in the army, you know? Yeah, actually, I, I agree with that. I, I think at that point he's just, you know, being honest. I think he, you know, I mean, he's being, he's not like lying, but I mean, you know what I mean? Where, you know, he, th- that's how he sees it, but I mean, it might not be true, you know, like it is, you know, in his heart. Well, I don't know. I guess, you know, like you said, we agree to disagree because I, I, I don't see it in, in that, you know, in that sense. I, you know. I think it's far too early yeah. for him to have any kind of emotional resonance for Griffith just yet. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think well, I mean, you know, like, for Griffith to, to guts, but I mean, I, I know what you mean. I mean, it's a matter of sort of interpretation, you know. Maybe I'm, you know, because I know what's to come. I'm maybe I'm injecting that into the scene. Whereas at this point, you know, who's to say? It's sort of just uh, it is what it is, you know, literally on the page. Sure. Yeah, yeah. What what I see to it is that Griffith, you know, recognizes that guts is an exceptional, you know, man in you know, uh, in, you know. Uh, and an essential asset for what he intends to do, which is also why 
he tells him that he intends to take his own kingdom. Yeah. So yeah, well, that's I, why. I guess what I'm saying is, is I've never you know noticed before how you can sort of see the seeds of the conflict to come in here. Yeah. The inner uh, conflict for Griffith. Uh, well, yeah, well, you know, okay, I have no comment. <laughs> I'm, I'm already moving on. <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, I love this next scene because Guts gets we get to see inside Guts' head, which it's not something that we get to see too often in the series, uh, maybe a couple handful of times. And, and so much of his life has changed at this point. He's thinking about where he's been and, and, and where he's going. I think what's interesting about this is we do get a little bit of Gambino here because he's thinking about who was he dedicating his life to? What was the purpose of his life prior to this point? And he was basically well, surviving at this. You know, point. I, I, yeah, I think I think you're going a bit too fast here. Okay. Uh, because you know like, what you say is true huh? and interesting, but uh, I think uh, what's interesting is that he gets to that point by first thinking about what Griffith told him. Like you know, he's like, oh, getting you know his own country, man, this guy's deluded, whatever you know. Like he doesn't really put much stock into Griffith's ambition. But then he gets to reflect on his own ambitions or lack thereof, you know, and the fact. Well, yeah, what has he been doing? Well, pretty much just, you know, his life has been aimless. You know, he's just surviving. Sure. Well, I was, uh, was, was going to get there. I was just going to say, and compared to Gam- what Gambino, what, what he had been influenced by Gambino, what Griffith offers is so much more. And that's why Griffith is so compelling to him at this point in his life. Yeah. Well, there's one thing, though, about Gambino that I find interesting is that when he remembers him, he remembers a smiling f- figure, you know? But it doesn't sit well with him, though. The, yeah. that, that panel we have of him, it's like, basically, here's how I read that page. It's a very enigmatic little shot of Gambino. The image of him summons a lot of different emotions, both for reader and for guts, I have to imagine. But I, I think here he's thinking about, what would I be like if I just survived, just killing enemies, just surviving? It would end up being someone like Gambino, I would imagine. But with Griffith... He could be, he could, his goal could be something higher. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't really, that's not how I interpret it. I think he's just thinking about his past and, you know, what he's been taught and stuff and remembering his father pretty much. And, uh, yeah, his father that he killed and, uh, all the opportunities, you know, like mm-hmm. he doesn't have. But, you know, I don't think he's necessarily just thinking about what Griffiths offers him or not, you know, uh, compared to that, you know, at least I, as that's not how I see it. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just think it's interesting that he remembers him as a smiling figure because that's not necessarily the case. And yeah. it shows. It's a little how, deluded, sure. Yeah, how his memory is, you know, like, but, you know, it's a normal thing for, uh, you know, a son, you know, towards his father, you know, even though he's not a good father. So, yeah. And there's another thing in that scene that's interesting to me is the fact we get an estimation of the, you know, how many people are in the band of the Falcon at the time, you know, gets mentioned there's barely, you know, 500, you know, people. So Mm -hmm. it's interesting to see how small they start, you know. Right. And uh, I don't know about this translation I'm looking at, but uh, his age, I think, uh, basically guts age in relation to Griffith. It's a totally minor detail. He just says he's about the same age as me in this Dark Horse translation, but I, I could have sworn the original something like he's a bit older than me or maybe he's slightly older than me or something like that. Well, he says something like, you know, it's, you know, the the translation is not bad. It's pretty much just that their, their ages are Com- not... Comparable. Yeah, not very different from, you know, one another. So, right. you know, I always estimated that Griffiths was like, you know, a year older or two years older or something like that. And I think it's, uh, it's, uh, it's fitting, you know, it's something of the sort. They're not the same age, but at the same time, they're... You know, they're close. And the thing is, you know, 
like did you know he's got seven keeping up with his his own age you know I'm, I'm not even sure actually yeah does he even know who old he is this oh yeah exactly we get a little bit of physical comedy here with uh, Pippin and and Rickard <laughs> I love it because uh, Rickard bumps out Grutz into the lake and then uh, Pippin ends up bumping Rickard out into the lake. Yeah, well. you know actually I I really like how that's done you know because yeah. like Grutz' reverie is interrupted by Rickard. And, uh, you know, like it feels very real to me. Like, you know, I don't know what to say, but the storytelling mimics the way, you know, like his reverie, his reverie is, you know, his, you know, thinking is cut off, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't know why, but I, I find it really great the way it's done, you know, like he's, you know, deeply sinking and splash, you know, he gets into the water and the transition is, you know, I don't know, I find it pretty great. <laughs> yeah. I, think- I love the picture of Guts sort of float. It looks like he's floating there. He's obviously in midair, you know, and he's 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 got this smile on his face, you know, but it's sort of a put upon smile as he knows he's going into the water. Yeah, yeah, it's for comic purpose, I think. Yeah. So this that ends the actual uh, the the chapterification of this part of the series, and the next is the first official episode zero zero one. Well, you know, it ends on an important note too. The fact Guts, you know, who has just very recently, you know, you know, been taken as, you know, one of the the members of the the Falcons, has been promoted as a, you know, squad leader. So, like, he's pretty much, you know, getting, you know, a very quick uprise in the ranks. Yeah, of course. Which is, you know, interesting, given that uh, that probably doesn't happen often. Yeah, well, I mean, like you said before, he, he he proved himself. But you're right, Griffith is quickly promoting based on what he sees. I, I wonder if part of that was based on their conversation that you know, you you belong to me. You cool with that? Great. Here's a promotion. Yeah. <laughs> and that being said, yeah, and the, the thing is, guts is you know still at the time thinking that he'll do it. Like you know, yeah. for now, you know, like so you know, it's interesting that you know even then he never intends to stay you know there you know he just you know does it you know for no for the time being, and right. it actually ends up you know there's a shot of Casca looking at them from up high, you know, which mirrors what you know she was doing earlier, so mm-hmm. you know it's interesting you know she she looks pensive too, and then there's uh, this shot of the battlefield, and you know that that cuts off. Yeah, I wonder what's going through her head at that point. I wonder if she's maybe reconsidering what she thinks of guts. I guess she's not quite there yet in her headspace just yet. But yeah, yeah, uh, not at that point. But well, yeah, it's, uh... I don't know because I mean she's still. I mean she still obviously has that resentment uh, in the cave. I mean obviously that's a big jump, but you exactly. know I mean yeah. she sort of she sort of sees him as this threat. You know, up until even that point. So right. It ends with them going out on a battle, uh, and we, but of course we end up flash, flashing forward. I'm, I'm going to get to that. Um, the series basically, yeah, like starts over again, like you said, with yeah. you know not only in the numbering, but then it's like it literally resets the table, and you know we jump in time. We also and, get these two-page, super dramatic, you know, disassociated images of the Behirat, <laughs> exactly. like a, a demon holding the Behirat, and then we get the. Uh, Kind of the mantra of the series, and then the, the two-page spread of the Dragon Slayer, yeah, which is great. Kind of makes you remi- it reminds you of some of the themes that are in place for the series. I, I think maybe that was done for newer readers. Maybe 
I don't, I don't quite know. The whole relaunching of the series, I have to imagine it's kind of an editorial or publication decision. Maybe they have marketing reasons for it, but as far as the storytelling, it doesn't really have a major impact uh, on things. You know, I mean, with, what did way this coincide it? with the changing of magazines? Yeah, or? it's not a relaunching oh, it? of the series. Yeah, it's just the magazines changing because, you know, yeah. Animal House was a monthly publication and Young Animal, you know, is a, you know, bi-monthly, bi-weekly, whatever. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's not, you know, the series relaunching. It's just changing their numbering systems. That's all. That's, that's all. That's, that's what I meant by relaunch. Also, that, yeah, they're sort of resetting, you know, the, that being said, for new readers, yeah, it, it does have an impact on Mura and on the series in that, well, you know, before he did, you know, you know, bigger episodes, and now they're smaller, you know. Oh so yeah, it's, right. It's a lesser amount of pages, so so there's an impact on him. But uh, yeah, it's not anything like you know a restart of the series or anything like that. It's just you know. A, ch- a change in the numbering system due to the... It's a, you know, it's a number of changes both sort of within the story and the way it's published. And, you know, it's a, it's a pretty dramatic, like, change in a number of ways. But, I mean, it still continues on the same. <laughs> yeah, that, that's yeah. all I really meant was despite all these things that are happening kind of editorial in the background, uh, you can turn the page and you don't, you know, nothing changes as far as the way the story is told other than the page numbering change. And I'm assuming the release schedule as well. I can't remember what Animal House was. I told you it's a monthly magazine. Uh, Animals is monthly, and then Young Animal is semi-monthly. So yeah, there you go. Um, he certainly spent some time on these battle scenes. This is the first massive, yeah. massive battle sequence we see. We get a little bit of that in the previous, uh, but it wasn't quite as detailed as this. The art really took a a, a jump up here. I, I think to me, at least, yeah. it's like the detail is, is quite refined, and, and a lot of the small details in the battlefield are very, very. Uh, yeah. I mean, tell me if it's just a, my imagination, but I mean, it's almost like the lines are thicker at this it, point. Like it, he changed his pen or something. I don't know. It could be. I don't know. Well, it's hard to say, but you know, it can also, you know, depend on uh, on what scenes are, are shown. But yeah, the inking seems, you know, uh, different. You know what it but, is actually the most dramatic thing. I'm, if, if you thumb through the previous pages, there's fewer with white backgrounds. You know, he spent a little yeah. more background yeah. surround uh, graphics. Yeah, the thing is, yeah, at the time, it, it all depends on how long he had to do it, you know. Yeah. Like, you know, that's the difference between the earlier volumes and the later one in that because he had, you know, a team of assistants, you know, they yeah. could do backgrounds and stuff like that. Whereas yeah. uh, when he was alone, he, he couldn't always do that. There's, but, there's but, a yeah. lot more contrast. <laughs> yeah, in, uh, totally. And it allows for interesting shots, like, you know, like when it starts, like this episode, you see the feet of the soldiers, you know, yeah. you know walking in the mud and, you know, some And then their ugly water. faces. <laughs> yeah. Ugly guys going to war. It looks like Magneto is actually in the uh, upper left-hand <laughs> corner of that bottom panel, second to yeah. the bottom panel. That's, that's right. Well, <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Yeah, it goes to show, like, you know, what war is like. Not Not a pretty business. Yeah. And then this kind of melee of all these guys, you know, slaughtering each other. Yeah, I like it. I just saw that. Guys with shields, which is, you know, which is interesting. Are we going to talk about the Hawks not using shields, or are we just not going <laughs> to ever touch on that? I never actually considered it before. <laughs> Do they not? There's no one? I, I'm trying to think. I don't think of, I can't think of a single page where one is used, but. There might be some. There might but be it's, some. it's I mean, sort of a guts, strange thing. It's like guts. maybe Griffith has some advanced fighting like ideas where it's like you know you're better off just you know going all <laughs> offense you know either you kill or you die yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah you know where it's like it's sort of like the idea of like never punting the football you know like just always go for it 
You know, that's that's the it's the best strategy in Dark Souls is to not use a shield. Actually, you just roll. Uh, <laughs> now that being said, uh, you know, uh, I must mention, you know, Volume Seven's cover, you know, where Gus actually. Oh yeah, the- well, that's well, that's that's it's such an anomaly though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, why maybe he did, you know, train with a shield just in case he had to. You know? Oh, he could. I'm sure he could pull it off. Yeah, of course he could he, play. Of course, anything. he only trained on like how to kill someone with a shield, you know, not actually how to deflect blows, just stab people in the neck with them. Maybe he'll train with a skull knight on how to use a shield, and you know, yeah. final battle we'll have, we'll have him using a shield. No, maybe yeah. not. <laughs> and just one little page of exposition we have with the king of Midland actually on the field of battle, which is like, whoa, dude, maybe a little, a little further back. Yeah, well, he's actually, he's, uh, he's they a, imply he's endangered here. Yeah. Yeah, he's overlooking it, though, so it's not, you know... He's on a hill. Well, I think he would even say something like... We gotta get out of here, you yeah, know, like, yeah, sort of yeah. thing, until, you know, Griffith and Gut show up. Right. And so, I mean, just a little bit of page of exposition, we get a sense of how the Falcons are going to rise, because these are very turbulent times because of the Hundred Years' War. Uh, I think the, the this new part of the series actually starts saying that the war has been going on for a hundred years, so we're introduced to this ongoing conflict, which... We have to assume all the battles we've seen previously were kind of like skirmishes and resulting of the Hundred Years' War and the turnover of uh, of land from one force to another and things like that. All big, kind of big, big boiling pot for war. And the Falcons basically are able to ride on that wave to to success. And here they have a super opportune moment, uh, and they have a big staging plan for how it's going to work. And and Guts ends up going out on his own. And uh, drawing a lot of the forces to him and just, you know, wipes out dozens of guys. I could probably count if I had my roster available. Yeah. But then Griffith flanks and then, uh, you know. You know, uh, I think it's worth mentioning that the battle scenes are pretty, you know, pretty detailed, you know. It's also, like you were saying, you know, how it's, uh, like it's, uh, you know, a part where you can see the upgrade, you know, in the realism and graphism and stuff like that. And, yeah, we get to see a lot of the scenes. I know you like... The fact that, you know, Gus slashes the head and you see the head falling in the, you know, totally. next panel and stuff like that. And yeah, it's, you know, one of the big battles where, you know, it starts, you know, being really, you know, impressive, you know. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of kinetic motion here. Uh, yeah. From, from page to page and from panel to panel. Uh, I love the but, one where it's like Gus is on there for, uh, is this the one where he's more, on the page for more than once? No, no, he just, basically this is one page, I can't point it out, that's not the number, but... You see the aftermath. It could be better, though. Like, he could, you know, slice a guy and he goes flying 30 feet into the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blood spraying out. I think that would really, if it was in motion, that would really look good. (laughs) But we see the the carnage basically left in his wake as he pours through all these heavy armored knights. Uh, The battle ends quite quickly as soon as Griffith shows up, or at least the, the the way it's cut. Um, I mean, yeah, it looks like Guts already pretty much, you know, scatters them. They're on, they're already sort of taken aback, and then suddenly yeah. he's up with the whole army. And yeah. Yeah, he disrupted done. their, you know, their line, and then they got taken by surprise. And so, we, I, we just don't see the end of the battle because there's not much, you know, like we see, you know, random guys, you know, killing them, and that's pretty much how the rest of it goes, you know. What's also cool about this is we see the characters have aged a little bit. It's been, I can't remember if it's two years or three years. Um, but Guts is a little bit more built. He's been more and more filled out. Um, 
And Griffith looks a little bit different as well. All the characters yeah. have had a slight visual it's, change. It's, it's been three years, by the way. Okay, thanks. Uh, as soon as the battle's over, Casca takes him aside. Basically, she's trying to chastise him for going out on his own. And I think the significance here is that Guts has been trying to change. He has yeah. influenced by the people, but a, a part of him is still always a mercenary. He's still always thinking of survival and, and maybe also how he can best be used in battle. And maybe he thinks, you know, in this instance, he'd be better used as the guy drawing the forces to him. But we don't get a lot of insight into that. He's just kind of flustered over uh, her calling him a mad dog. Yeah. Well, he's, you know, I think he's pretty pissed because, you know, he, like you said, he has changed. Yeah. And she accuses him of not doing so. And so even though he's this calm, actually gets, you know, really pissed off, you know, at that time. It's like, you know, the, you know, drops that, you know, makes the bucket overflow, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, there's actually it's kind of a scary moment here. He's like grabbing her wrist and you yeah. know pulling her yeah. She she looks a little like unsure of you know what he's gonna do. He's not doing much to dispel her point though. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like it made me it made me actually think of Casca as being kind of an objective eye here. Of course, she has her own biases against guts, but you know he didn't follow the plan. He he could have he could have fucked things up. But of course, yeah. I mean, he he didn't yeah. think anything of it. Like he wasn't you know thinking of being selfish but i mean he just went out and did you know his own thing and you know it worked but at the same time you know as she points out it could have messed things up yeah they have both you know i I, she has a valid point and uh, guts doesn't mean anything bad and i think you know he means it when he tells griffith that he uh, he actually has changed you know but the thing is you know at that time at that point they can't like the two of them just can't get to you know get along you know yeah, and I mean the things aren't mutually exclusive. I mean he was doing his own thing, but he does care about his men. He wasn't doing it, you know, disregarding them. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. That's what I meant. Uh, Griffith kind of reminds him of the battle that they had, but uh, I think Griffith's kind of testing the waters with guts here. But he he doesn't really, you know, uh, hassle him over what happened. He even says at the end of the conversation, even part of that, even that part of you that's reckless is part of my plan. Yeah, and he actually seems, you know, how to say, he seems pretty arrogant about it too. Yeah, you know? <laughs> he seems yeah, to un- be like, you know, I meant to do that. You know, <laughs> it, sort of, it sort of reeks of that. But it's like, yeah, I mean, Guts is, you know, he sort of already sees the potential of Guts, you know, beyond being, you know, just a soldier, you know, someone who, you know, is special, right. you know, a special piece that goes above and beyond, you know, sort of. He, he sort of sees, I mean, I guess he's giving him permission, like, sort of like a superstar to be like, you don't have to always follow the rules, you know, in a sense. Yeah. Uh, next thing we have is a gorgeous shot of the chapel as Griffith's being given, I think it's a yeah. black count. I can't remember. You, you didn't mention the fact Kirkus is tr- trying to, you know, uh, Jose. He's, you know, he's trying to piss off Casca, you know. Yeah. And, you know, saying, you know, she gets into trouble, stuff like that, you know. And she, you know, I, I find it interesting that she just, you know, blows him off, you know. Well, like, I mean, he's ma- successful at pissing her off, but he feels yeah. the, the wrath of it. Well, he's yeah. he's trying to, you know, make the waters murkier for her. So she's, yeah, yeah. we should kill him. You know, that's his yeah, intent, of course. Yeah, instigating things, you yeah. know. You know that, that's that's what he's actually trying to do. He's trying to get her to have yeah, him, you know, kill him. But the thing is, like, it, it establishes that she's following her own agenda. Like, you know, she doesn't like guts for all these reasons. But at the same time, she, you know, like, she's not. It doesn't even enter, even enter into her mind to try to kill him or anything like that. You know, like, that's not that's not how she works, and that's not right. what she wants. 
Well, it's also because probably it would be directly disobeying Griffith, which yeah, of course, yeah, certain tent there. Why is this well, a question of loyalty? But yeah, and it shows. I mean, she's genuine when she. I think she was mad at him for yeah not following the rules, and in her mind, that is putting everyone in danger. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so she just sees that aspect of it, and so yeah, she doesn't. You know, whatever petty differences she has with guts, this yeah. you know doesn't affect her. There's a little exchange between the aristocracy. It, it kind of mirrors what we just talked about, about how they're uh, a little scared about how quickly Glyph is rising in the ranks and, and what this could mean for the country when a bunch of rabble is being you know, given such uh, privileges and rank. But uh, there's a little skirmish or argument between Casca and uh, Carcass in the thing, which kind of reminds them that they aren't really – they're really out of place here. Yeah. But what, what the, the most interesting part to me that, of this scene is that it it exemplifies the difference between Guts and Griffith, where Griffith's here surrounded by you know, royalty and being uh, bestowed rank, and Guts is outside training with logs. <laughs> yeah, He's with his logs outside in the in the fucking gutters with his sword. Well, the thing is, yeah, yeah that even though like a guy like Carcass, which is shown to be pretty much, how to say, unsophisticated, you know, like he's, he's still making noise and, you know, being, you know, a moron, but he's there in the, in the church being, you know, in the presence of the king who is actually, yeah. you know, yeah. knighting Griffiths. There's just one guy who actually doesn't give a fuck and his guts. And, and Casca is the one noticing it. Yeah. Which is again, you know, like she's the one paying attention to that, you know, for, for all, you know, the rest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, where where Corcus is there, sort of, you know, he wants to be part of the, you know, be, you yeah. know, he wants to ride Griffith's coattails, you know, quite literally, you know, be, you know, sort of revel in it with the the rest of them. Whereas Guts, yeah, he doesn't care about any of the glory other than just winning on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wants uh, his easy stuff, you know, like, he's, he's in it for the money and the glory. I mean, it's it's interesting because it's like, you know, for better or worse, you know, he probably should be there. You know, I think Casca points out like, you know, God, you know, that guy's not here again. But it's like he's he's out practicing. You know, you can't sort of fault, you know, where where his heart is at. You know, like this is going to be better for them in the long run. Yeah. One thing we didn't mention a bit earlier when grief is in guts and Casca and such stuff is that, you know, you know, I think we didn't mention it at least. It exemplifies the fact, you know, like that guts has changed, you know, like it's a, it's quite a bit of character development for him. The fact he cares about his comrades and stuff like that. We don't really underline it, but I think it's a, it's a pretty important point that again, it's, it's shown very quickly in the manga, but like in these three years where he was just staying, you know, he was gonna just stay for a while and leave and he didn't trust anybody, but he actually gets to care about his men and his comrades. So it shows it, that's quite a bit of change from the man he was at the time. No? Yeah, so, no, no, I'm sorry. No, no, I agree. <laughs> no, I disagree. He's he's the same. He, he doesn't change. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm get, I'm getting wrapped up in looking ahead of what. what I I am too. Actually, I'm looking at. Except, you know, this is embarrassing. The details I'm looking at. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you guys will appreciate this. Probably not. But if in this episode, I noticed. That uh, Griffith's pendant, you know, on his cape, it yes. doesn't have like a hawk emblem, and he does have that in the next uh, episode. So I mean, that's interesting to know. That's exactly when the transition. It's actually <laughs> not interesting at all, but uh, <laughs> this is the shit I noticed. Oh man, 
Actually, it makes sense that, you know, it would be when the After pendant... After he's knighted, yeah. Yeah, of course. Makes sense. It's a present. Own... It's a present to reflect on his rank. Yeah. So that so, was a deep uh, catch by me, huh? <laughs> yeah, not uh, bad. Not bad. <laughs> Sorry, um, I had to do a quick break. We're gonna apparently going to get a foot of snow overnight, so I have to go to the store and get a bunch of groceries pretty soon. Wow. We, don't have, we don't have much here. So I want to try to wrap up by 3.30. You think, guys, you think that's possible, 30 minutes? No. No? Well, within 30 no, minutes. I mean, let's just... Okay, so Guts fight Zod, and then in Swordmaster, uh, they, <laughs> they discuss. Well, they I'll just to... I'll just bail it after thirty minutes, and I'll I'll let okay. you guys handle the rest of the show. Very well. I'm gonna try to do it. Okay. So there's just this, you know, little flashback of you know Griffiths talk to Guts about you know the Beherit and you know getting his own kingdom, and then we get to the battlefield with the thunder in the background. Griffiths, you know, faithfully touching his beheret, you know, looking ahead at the field, and there's his castle. And then the guy comes and says that, you know, a mysterious, you know, opponent is, you know, keeping them busy. All, all this focus on the beheret, before the thing even begins, as you said, we get a little one-page thing of the beheret, which I imagine was inserted for the volume. And we get this two pages before the episode begins of a flashback, like you say. I also imagine that was for uh, publication concerns, given that that episode was not in this new run or the new magazine of Berserk for newer readers. And then the episode starts and we get a full-on focus on the Behirit. So it's already pointing to readers, some shit's going to go down Behirit-related in this in this coming you know. Sequel. One thing yeah. that's mentioned that wasn't mentioned before is that it's a crimson yeah. Behirit, yeah. color of blood, you know. And uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. But go ahead. I was just going to say, regarding the color of the Behirit, yeah, we didn't know that Griffiths was – did we know any of the colors at this point? Did we no. know it was green before or olive? No. I guess you know. Well, you know, there was a color page. Yeah, the color so page. We know. We knew it was a. Greenish, oh, here we go. Okay, right, green, right. Green, greenish brown color for the you know the first one. Cool. In, vol- in volume one, but that's about it. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, regarding the way Zod, I love the way Zod has this like mythical legend associated with him with the, you know the pile of bodies. It's dramatic. Looks like Goku. Bright. Yeah, well, it's interesting, you know, I'd say the way the, you know, the episode, is, the thing is brought, the way Zod is brought about, you know, first, there's a, you know, the Beherit, mm-hmm. and the, the fact it takes back to that is also because it's gonna talk about the Beherit, you know, in the, what, what's coming, you know, Zod and stuff. But it's also a way for me to put the supernatural back into play a bit, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there's this, like, there's a thunder and stuff like that. It's pretty dramatic. Some guy comes and says, there's, you know, one enemy soldier that's holding, you know, up, you know, the the party, including guts, like, you know, guts guys can't get through, and uh, and so you see, yeah, everybody's talking. There's this shot of judo, you know, with the <coughs> his helmet's shadow on his face, you know, talking mm-hmm. about Zod, you know, what, that's when he says, you know, and uh, I think it's all very dramatic, you know, like like you said, he sets it up as if he's some kind of supernatural monster, which he actually is. Mm-hmm. And then we get a shot of guts outside, you know, being literally being held back by his, his uh, soldiers. Yeah, because he wants to go in and finish the fight. Yeah, he wants to go in himself, you know, alone. Someone comes out that's literally torn <laughs> to pieces, and obviously at that point, guts knows this is something serious. <laughs> this is not just one crazy guy. This is some kind of yeah. monster. Especially since fifty guys, you know, went yeah, in, and he's, he's these guys coming back. 
The, re- the readers at this point have to know it's an apostle. Uh, given, given everything we knew, uh, the legend stating that Zod lived for a hundred years, you have to know it's an apostle in there or, or something like that. Uh, coming into this, of course, Guts doesn't know that. Uh, about this, this is one of those memorable scenes in the series for me, so I kind of want to take my time. Uh, first of all, I love the lighting in this scene. It's really something special. Yeah. All, all from torches. It's all, you can tell it's a very dark scene. Uh, certain things are lit very starkly and some are, are not lit at all. Just a lot of shadows. Um, you know, guys, go ahead. I was just going to say, very simply said, it has a, a horror feel about it, which yeah. is the same kind of feel you, you get on the solitary island, you know, when they're in the inn. Mm-hmm. And there's these guys, you know, that's much later, on, of course. And these guys, and they look like, you know, you know, ghoulish, you know. And it's the same kind of thing. It's like it's a horror story, and everything before that also sets it up in that way. It's it's somewhat fitting that the first apostle that Guts encounters is the apostle, the warrior apostle. <laughs> you know, his exposure is Zod. You know, who who becomes so important in his life. Zod's kind of like a benchmark for Guts, or he becomes a benchmark for Guts as a warrior. Because yeah. We see him face him a number of times, and he grows each time. And this being their first encounter, it's it's notable for a number of reasons. First, that Guts can take on Zod's human form. It's just, uh, you know, doesn't end well. But uh, anyway, I wanted to talk about this uh, this opening sequence here as he's walking through, seeing all these bodies piled around. He's walking towards the source of all these these bodies. You know what I was reminded of when I first read this. What do you What do you guys think? What What other scene does this remind you of? In any other work from Japan? Honestly, yeah, nothing. Nothing. How about no. Metal Gear Solid One right before the Cyber Ninja? Go, go fuck yourself. <laughs> go fuck yourself. I'm fucking serious. I, I rewatched the scene last night, and there are actually a number of similarities in, in how it's portrayed. I'm not kidding. The well, fact Zod does want him to hurt him more. I mean, that's all, that that's, is... exactly. <laughs> I, totally, I totally think Kojima may have taken an influence from in this scene. No kidding. Really? Oh, well, well, you know, okay, I guess. Uh, anyway, we'll we'll continue. Well, you know, yeah, I guess I see what you mean. I see what you mean. That fight is about uh, the Cyber Ninja taunting Snake. Like he wants to. The whole purpose of the fight is to engage in real warfare, in an actual battle with a worthy opponent, which is all what Zod's doing. And you know, even has the whole uh, Snake going through the bodies uh, to get to that scene. Anyway, even though uh, though Zod turns into a Minotaur, I feel like this scene is less weird. Than that one was in well, yeah. Metal Gear Solid. No, like, no scrambling weird voices in the background throughout the entire. Yeah, yeah. but anyway, but, I, don't, I don't want to get too tangential on that. I just but the fact he walks into the bodies. Yeah, I can see what you mean. Right. Anyway, and that they, we have a full page of distorted bodies with horrified faces, uh, eyes pushed yeah. out. Cut off, yeah, now cut that off one looks heads. like it's right out of a horror comic. Like the yeah. just the the one of the you know faces surrounded by literally blackness. No, it's a stark contrast. Totally. Big eyes. And Zod has just been piling bodies. You know, that's, that's, that's what he's been doing, you know, piling bodies, cutting off their heads. I love it. And uh, uh, there's one where he's – the, the two-page shot we get of, of Zod is he has his, 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 his arm or his hand in this guy's mouth and the guy's tongue is just lagging out. Yeah. You can, you can kind of see the sequence of events here. He'd just been, he, he had just killed that guy. He was going to stack him on the top like a bunch of pile of logs. And – and, and throw those guys naked. on with his sword. <laughs> yeah, and he's naked. Of course. And and yeah, he's holding two guys on his sword. I actually love the, the way you know the scene plays in which you see Gus arriving, 
there's, you know, you see him from a perspective of under some guy's feet, which are up in the air. Then there's his, you know, eyes reacting. Then the full page of, you know, you know, heads, you know, and then Zod, you know, the reveal. I really love the way Mira did it. It's like, you know, for maximum, like what to say, maximum impact. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. And what also is neat about the way it transitioned is, Directly after that two page, guts just runs forward. Yeah, there's no yeah. An attack. Yeah, there's no hesitation. It's just right on to the end of the battle, and he didn't quite expect to have two corpses to be thrown in him, so he gets yeah. back a little bit. It's not just uh, yeah, it's not even just the corpses. I mean, he, like you know, yeah, he gets you the know, sword, but with the corpses on them, you know, he's oh yeah, sorry. regardless. Yeah. Yeah. he just he just swings a sword as if there's nothing. Yeah, as if there's not two full grown guys, you know, hanging on it. Yeah, why you? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, and even there, he actually projects guts into a, a pillar, you know. Yeah, that's one of the this this fight and the uh, the, the rematch in episode one eighty one. I, I love the the sense of weight that Mirai gives to each of Zod's blows. Whenever they with their sword sit, you know, you, you get a shot of guts hitting going back. Or the momentum of each of their swings is is, is felt in these pages. Well, and what's also interesting about it is even though Zod just kicked his ass basically with this swing, like he's he's immensely impressed, <laughs> you know, that Guts isn't dead. Oh yeah, you know, immediately it's like this, wow. It was, this is what he was looking for. He was looking for someone that could actually stand up to him. Uh, I have to imagine uh, that's why he was even bothering with this fight is yeah. uh, getting involved. Why do you think Mirak portrayed him as naked? I have a couple of thoughts, but like, what, is there an obvious one I'm missing? I, I I think he might actually arrived, you know, you know, in this transformed state, you know, in which he can't wear clothes, you know. That's what I was thinking as well. Was yeah. the point he transformed, whether he arrived like that or not, or yeah. maybe that I was going to say maybe they, the the armor was stripped from him over the course of battling fifty or sixty guys, but he says no one landed a hit on him, basically. So the yeah. blood that's on him is not his. It's, it's like somebody else's blood. Yeah. I also think it's like, because, I mean, we never, at this point, we didn't even know Zod ever wore armor, you know, yeah, or anything sure. like that. I mean, he's just, you know, he's just this wild sort of naked creature, you know. I mean, he's obviously, he looks like a man, but he obviously looks like more than a man. And I think, it, you know, it just sort of adds to the primalness, to the, to the weirdness, the horror, you know. I mean, yeah. it's almost like, you know, you think of, you know, in the modern day, it would be like a serial killer, you know, or something, you know, like Patrick Bateman, <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> it, it just adds all these different, you know, sort of weird, unsettling and, you know, horrifying aspects, you know, monsters. Which, which is actually fitting, you know, as his name is Nosferatu Zod, you know, so yeah. like Nosferatu in the title. And, and there's that, you know, page for, you know, the, you know, you know, second episode, you know, Nosferatu Zod 2, you know, where, you see he, him from the the side, you know, and he's very bestial there. Like he's really like a beast, you know. He's yeah. almost, you know, like wild in in terms of, you know, you know, animal. So, I mean, really, the, the, yeah. the, the development is later when we see that. Oh, you know, he does wear armor. He will dress like a man, you know. Mm-hmm. So Zod really gets into this because he finally he's found someone that can actually parry his blows. He compliments Zod. Or he compliments guts on. Surviving this long, which you know, we hear that a lot. Which Guts even rec- I mean, Guts realizes that. Uh, I mean, I don't think they trade another blow until like he pretty much just takes that stance and decides. You know, Guts has already sized him up. That like, you know, I can't. You know, he can't really fight this guy. He has to just win on you know, one mm-hmm. strike. You know, so yeah. Have that kind of duel. Right. And Zod mm-hmm. recognizes it too. Well, I think I think 
I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Zod misreads what Guts does. Guts goes for the sword, does he not? Yeah. Yeah. But he, yeah, he knows that he's gambling on, you know, just like exchange in one exchange, you know, because yeah. he knows that's his only chance. Like Zod yeah. said, the Zod thought he was using his reach as the advantage, but he actually is going for uh, a strike within a second strike, which is what yeah. Guts does. And yeah. Guts which is, sword. you know, even smarter just because, you know, he f- I guess he figures, I don't know if he says it, but, you know, the swords are at least equal, or he might yeah. have the advantage there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah Guts actually outsmarts him. So that's, that's, what, that's what's great, you know, that Zod is not, you know, he's not stupid. He knows very well what he's doing, but, you know, uh, Gus outsmarts him. So that's what's yeah. pretty, you know, pretty good about this. Since it's already been established and Gus comments on it that Zod is physically so superior that it's not even a match. Like, he, he actually breaks the pillar, you know, just with a sword strikes and can, you know, send Gus flying back, you know, with his, you know, strikes. So Right. Whenever Guts lands, this would be a fatal blow had Guts had Zod not, you know, blocked it, of course, and him being Zod. Uh, we get a little bit of a context for how significant a moment this is. He says, you're the first person to ever drive a sword this deep into my body. He said, it's been, uh, three, after 300 years of fighting, uh, it's been the first person in 50 years to be able to stop his sword. I love that we get these little details because not only does it, kind of places on in the, the timeline of events but it also gives us an understanding of he's been doing this a while he's been looking for someone that can face him in combat and it also makes guts special you know in, in terms of the world of berserk yeah and how how uh effective of war he warrior he is yeah it establishes that he's you know like extraordinary you know even this early on we know that like you know there's no one quite like him right once in a couple centuries kind of warrior I actually one thing I really like is the, the face of guts when Zod, you know, like That's starts cool. pulling out the sword, you know. Mm. His face he looks really scared, you know, and uh, <laughs> yeah. I I really like I really like that, you know, the, the fact he's like he's really happy, he has struck him, he thinks he's won and then Zod is like, you know, this is where the real fight is starting. So mm-hmm. Well yeah, here's a look, here's this almost like cocky look of triumph you know because i mean this is this is what always this is when he always wins you know yeah. he sees his sword get buried into somebody's arms and their shoulder and it's over and then you know he has just a moment of huh and you know and then he like yeah when he sees him grab and pull out the sword so easily too yeah like it's not like he has to struggle to get it that's just like whoop <laughs> that's what oh, he's that face, yeah <laughs> this little yeah this like little boy look on his face and then at the bottom it turns into sort of this real stark whore yeah he transforms after, well, we also see Zod's, I love the transformation page. It's a two-page spread of yeah. just basically fur and horns and just up close of Zod's face. All the yeah. bestial features of it, the animal features of it. It's one of my favorite shots of Zod in the entire series, this one. Sure. I really think it's really great. And uh, it really shows off, you know, Mira's, you know, uh, Jose, his talent as an artist, you know. I really think it's great. Even even then we see the the fog on the Apostle transformation, that, that fog that gets emitted. Well, it's uh, you know also the is also the wounds you know where he was cut, but yeah, we see yeah, the yeah, like there's fog you know around him as well. Yeah, and guts experiences the same kind of terror that most people see in the presence of an apostle, just utterly terrified. Yeah, uh, his and knees he, are shaking. Right. Yeah, I mean he's like he's questioning it. Like he's never you know I've never felt anything like this. It's just beyond. He just control. like you know, Wolverine where he faced against that kid. You know, <laughs> sorry. 
Oh, so it's okay to compare Wolverine, but not Cyber Ninja. Yeah, I don't know. Since you are making shitty references, I can make it as well. You know, <laughs> make <laughs> me feel alive again. I, I do even... that. I do that all the time. So I mean, it's no yeah. bother to me. <laughs> uh. And of course, the the fight's basically over at this point. As far as it's a one sided fight, once he transforms, I always kind of feel shitty about this. Like they were having a good time. Guts got the upper hand, and Zod has to play the like fucking like cheat code. Well, you know, yeah. he's an apostle for a reason. He's not a good guy. He's not fair. He just you know, oh yeah, you are not bad. And let's see this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, I mean, it's from his point of view. It's just like, well, you know, good job. Now I'm going to show you what I can really do. You know what I mean? I yeah. Real power. <laughs> as far as he's concerned, this is what he, you know, this is what he really is. You know, so let's see if yeah. you can deal with this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Gus does does manage to get a strike in, but it's it's of no use because of the horns gets yeah. smacked aside and. That would that would have been it for guts. It would have been torn apart, and then yeah. and you know I think like you know about the horns. It's not like guts is striking the horns. You know, it's Zod is blocking it with his yeah. horns. You know, yeah. I think it's important to because okay. I know not uh, all readers are very you know <clears throat> yeah discerning. Let's say oh he tried to hit him, but he just got the horns. Oh what an idiot! <laughs> yeah, well you know yeah. <laughs> I think I think they do actually make a headshot very difficult. You'd have yeah. to be a very accurate headshot if you were going for that. The horns. Oh, yeah. Just... yeah, and his skull is probably thick as a fucking rock, so. Yeah. Because I, I know all about Well, apparently smashing... not, because uh, Griffith cuts a, you know, his arm off you know, quite easily with his... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, let's get to that in due time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Griffith intervenes, or the, the Falcons arrive, and uh, give this shot of, of, of Griffith, who's trying to maintain his cool, and pretty successfully... Couple sweat drops. Yeah, yeah. That, he's 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 got no big issues with it. Uh, bringing bringing all these people to the fight though proves to be a huge mistake because <laughs> Zod just goes through them like paper. I mean, I, I love this rampage. You should have done it like in the anime, where you know. You what is that? <laughs> I have I the wave files. I don't even remember. I don't. I don't have them on hand, but I I, I could have pulled them up. Oh well. Maybe I'll answer. It's only, oh yeah, you know what? He does take his crew. He just doesn't take for some reason. All his in, lieutenants don't go, <laughs> like mm. for whatever reason. No, they're there. Casca and Pippin and. Arthur I mean, in well. the when they when they weirdly changed it in the TV series. Oh, I don't even pay attention to that shit. Yeah. Uh, we have several more uh, two page spreads of Zod as he goes through these people. I love the two page where he's yeah. just chewing through them. Yeah. Guts, he's, they're, they're falling off his claws, their guts, you know, I mean, in his, in his mouth. Yeah. I like that Guts is, you know, telling them to run away, you know, like he's not, he's, he's not, not looking for, yeah, he's not looking for protection. Like he'd rather just, you know, tell them to just leave because he knows they can't do anything and he'd yeah. just, just be left to his death. No, like if, just, I, if I can't do it, what the hell do you think you can do it, you know? No, but the thing, I, I think it's important that he, he shows, he cares about them in, in such a way that, you know, he doesn't just try to, you know, save his life or anything like that. He yeah. would rather just, you know, be left to die, you know, instead of, you know, seeing them die, you know, you know yeah. for yeah. And, and he has a shot and of... Plus, even know, he has given up the fight. I mean... Yeah. Well, he at, least, he at least knows that they can't do anything. Yeah. And he has that, that shot of Zod, you know, that does a double page of him biting the guy, you know. Yeah, it's also one of my favorites. It's, it's pretty fucking great. <laughs> I also like how in the next, it's in the next episode, actually, I think, uh, number four, where, uh, 
the way he uses light, you know, to sort of represent shadow. There's a shot of Zod where he's like, you know, he's he, he's a little bit darker on the belly, but it's really, you know, he's like enveloped with light mostly. Oh he yeah, I see his eyes and everything. Yeah, it's where Gut, Guts and Griffith are standing directly in front of him. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's a, that's a great, you know, sort of different take on the same. Uh, Directly after that two pictures we're talking about, you know, Griffith chooses to to not withdraw, but to actually engage with him. Casca tries to pull him back, and then there's this yeah, Griffith. Ta- yeah, he tells everybody to retreat, but he goes for it. Yeah, yeah. But Casca has a look on her face like she knows it's the wrong decision to make, and he's just doing it for his own reasons. And yeah, she actually that 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 look on her face. It's really you know, I mean, it's quite you know impossible to describe. You know. Yeah. It's both, you know, sadness and disappointment and, you know, I don't know, many things. It's like she, she knows this guy who's a, capable of such great things could make such a bad mistake, you know? I, I think that's what it is anyway. I think she's also the fact she's disappointing that Griffiths is risking his life. That's what I mean. For, for guts, you know, like, you know, like the, the fact he does it for guts and maybe he wouldn't do it for her or anything like that. I think that's one of the shots where mm. not jealousy of... You know, Gus and Griffith's relationship, you know, shows, you know. Yeah. That could totally be it. That's a good, that's a good point. Um, what's cool for this is a really special moment for in terms of her, the Berserk, you know, the scale of things. Because here are the future member of the God Hand and the Black Swordsman versus Zod, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a really cool moment for the series. Uh Rarely are you going to see all three of these guys on the same page in this context ever again. Maybe in the final the finale of the series or something like that. Well, I don't think it's going to be Guts and Griffith fighting Zod again. Well, yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah, Guts and Zod fighting Griffith. Oh, oh yeah. Once it reveals it's his father and he's Velos, you know. Oh, wow. you, know? you truly are the ultimate strong one, Black Swordsman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that hurts. That hurts on a personal level. <laughs> Deep down, I know Walter feels it too. Yes, <laughs> I kind of feel bad for Zod. He gets double teamed, and he actually gets shown. You know, he gets his arm gets, shot. Yeah, off. he gets messed up pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. I guess actually, you know, fucking slashes his throat. You know, so yeah, he plays it off well. Like, oh, what an exciting day! But it's like, no, I mean, you got, you're you probably got <laughs> you got <laughs> <Yeah>. fucked. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and Zod, you know commemorates the event saying it was a significant for two two humans yeah. to be meeting him on this day. And he's immediately going to exterminate them now. <laughs> yeah, by using so, his arm as a weapon, which is just fucking awesome. Yeah, that's pretty that's a good that's a nice recovery when you pick your arm up and then oh, just yeah. beat people with it, you know. Yeah. That's just if you look really closely at Guts expression when he gets hit by the arm is just fucking great. He's just totally <laughs> taken aback by what just happened. He's like, "What?" He's just like, "Ugh." <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, Griffith's getting whiplashed by the days also quite, you know, like yeah. he's projected in the pillar so strong he actually, you know, like breaks it. It's just, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, gotta take the wind out of his lung, you know. And when he's gonna kill Griffith, I love that shot of him. It's another one of those great like horror comic shots where it's just, you know, Zod with his eyes in his hand mm-hmm. coming out, you know, in that upper left corner. It's a great little, it's like, like the monster under your bed reaching out <laughs> kind of yeah. shot. Yeah. I'll just take this here. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't, wasn't there going to be a Zod emoticon like that with the hand? Uh, I do have the. I think. Uh, I think we have it. It's like. Yeah, I think it's, yeah. It's it on. It's just not in the. It's just not in the regular selection. It's, it's Zod, the biggest emoticon by like times. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, yeah, it's big, humongous. That was the reason. So it, it's him. It's also him doing his little stop sign that he does to uh, 
to Skull Knight when they see the the Berserk right. yep. armor in thirteen. Yep. Same one. So we get and he does it in volume thirteen. He does it in volume thirteen. And I think it's twenty six or twenty seven. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. When, when in front of Ashley, it's later than that, I think. But yeah. anyway, uh, Zod sees the Bahira, and then it's a game changer for him. Yeah, he flips out pretty much. Yeah, his, his face is just. I wonder what that. I guess. I guess at that point he realizes he's been meddling in things that are larger than him at this point, and he backs away. Yeah. Why well, he, he seems to find it funny at least, you know. Well, it, yeah. Once he, once he processes it, that's yeah. Once he gets over it, he realizes you know, like sort of what are the odds, you know, or you know, it's yeah. all connected. Right. And that that's why the uh, two humans of significance met on this. Yeah. Show, so. Yeah, it's interesting because he seems, you know. Like his uh, how to say enjoyment and appreciation of God seems genuine because he actually goes through a trouble of you know warning him yeah you know of you know, or at least telling him to be prepared for what's to come you know after having seen the Beherit you know but is he, he also knows is... to immediately stop messing with the situation like he doesn't yeah. just you he... know leave Griffith alone he doesn't kill guts he doesn't kill anyone else because you know yeah. who knows what sort of damage he might have done you know I mean it's almost like. I mean, it's like time, you know, not messing with time travel, but it's fate, you know, where he knows, you know, like sure. he might have an inclination, you know, obviously he warns guts, you know, this, you might be important, you know, to this guy. It, it bears discussion on why he does this, but we've already been over that like a thousand times. So yeah. he exits stage C. And, uh, Azil, but what are Zod's intentions here in this scene? I'm just kidding. We've been over that. Like yeah, thousand. didn't we talk? Uh, you know, actually, when did we talk about it? I forgot. It was like it was about eight episodes ago, eight or nine episodes ago. No, oh, okay. It was in the early thirties, I think. Anyway, uh, I only have a little bit more to say, uh, and I do have to skedaddle. But I was gonna say what I was gonna say and have you guys take over for the rest, if that's okay with you guys. Sure. Yeah. Well, I just want to say one thing is that. You know, it's funny that after everything we've seen with Zod, he actually sprouts, you know, bat wings and flies off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so good point. This, this guy's got it all, you know. He's like, he's a fucking everything, you know. He's a lion. Swiss Army knife four. of, you know, yeah. monster power. <laughs> he, he's got, you know, bats. So, yeah, he's fucking truly deserving of the name Nosferatu, you know. Yeah. You know, uh, like I said, I do have to go, but I, I wanted to say one thing I wish I talked about when we started this, this, this talking about this volume is the cover. It's a really fantastic cover. Really well done. Just all the different layers and, and angles we get of these characters. And it's it's kind of Griffith first made the point to me that this is a really interesting cover. Like years and years ago, you did a, a remake of it, but for yeah, using modern uh, modern, uh, modern parts of the characters instead of a kind of this flashback look. And it is Zod's wings uh, behind the logo and has the castle in the background. It's just all it's really well done. Um, one of my one of my favorite covers for sure. Yeah, this is the, the this one is really like a movie poster, you know, sort yeah. of cover like that style. Yeah, it's a composition. Yeah, it's yeah. Kind of cool. Anyway, uh, again, I'm just going to say what I had to say, and then I'll let you guys take over. But uh, the significance here is Griffith's becoming a little more distant to his men, which you, you kind of can see that coming in terms of him having to climb the ranks. He has to distance himself from uh, his men and becoming more. He has to climb the ladder basically, and. You're seeing that chafe a little bit with his, uh, his comrades and, and what that's going to mean for the rest of them, of course, we already know. But um, another thing about Griffith is whenever he talks to Guts uh, towards the end of the volume, they're talking about how crazy it was that this you know creature, can, this kind of creature can exist in the world. 
And uh, Griffith equates gods and devils basically saying, aren't they the same thing? And the conversation kind of ends with that, but it's, it's a really enigmatic line. And there's this most recent reread. I was basically thinking about what kind of person was saying something like that. Basically, it's just if there's a higher force that's going to meddle with humanity, it doesn't matter if it's good or evil in terms of yeah. Griffith's is concerned, you know. It also speaks to like sort of, you know, his – you know, he's amoral, like, yeah, in a it's sense, too. You purely, know, it's like, purely pragmatic, you know. Pragma- yeah, God or the just, devil, you know, who cares? It's just yeah. a stronger being. Religion and spirituality are not things that matter to this kind of person. You know? Yeah. Anyway, again, I'm sorry I have to take a quick exit, guys, but uh, <laughs> thanks for sticking with me. I think it went really well, and you guys can take it out. Yeah. So well, let's see. We've got Casca, of course, uh, the other sort of famous ending to the scene after uh, – Yeah. Guts yeah. recovers himself and is he's he's busy contemplating, you know, his death, you know, what Zod meant exactly. And then when he tries to go over to Griffith, of course, Casca lays Slaps the big away. it's all your fault on him. Yeah. <laughs> which really hurts his feelings. Yeah. And that's Ksamanus, where we move on. Ksamanu Seda is what she says in Japanese actually for mm-hmm. the the anecdote. Yeah. I I know that one by heart. So <laughs> it's a, it's a pretty yeah it's a pretty powerful line and you know it's because you know we see that she's crying you know so yeah that's you know that's how much she cares you know she really cares you know like you know very much 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 more than anybody else I guess so that's what makes it so powerful yeah and I mean it sort of shocks guts too I mean he's obviously already yeah. been through the ringer mentally and physically and then you know he gets that <laughs> dropped on him too. Yeah, and it, you know, yeah, it hits him hard. <laughs> and of course, yeah. I mean, she means it on a deeper level than he even knows, you know, right now. Just where Griffith is concerned, not just the idea that you like, you know, hey, dummy, you put yourself in this situation and dragged Griffith yeah. into it. But yeah, so we'll get more on that in the next volume. But yeah, in the following episode, it's sort of uh, we reset, you know, with them back at uh, the castle town. Yeah, right. Wyndham actually, and I guess. Yeah. We, we see, we uh, actually see uh, an aerial shot of, uh, of, uh, Wyndham, and, uh, it's it's pretty interesting. It's, uh, very detailed, you know, inspired by, you know, actual, you know, medieval architecture. I, I like, I like these shots, you know, we don't get to see many of them, but, uh, I like, I like that one. It's very, you can tell Mura's done his research, you know, and try th- to, and you know, something. looking at it, I think I can actually see sort of like the little courtyard in the fountain where we see, uh, you know, Julius like yell yeah. at those maids. Yeah. <laughs> you can actually, yeah, yeah. It looks like you can see it right in there. Yeah. It's, a, it's exactly the same one. So I can only guess, you know, uh, that's where it's supposed to be. And, yeah. uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure if we analyzed it, you know, you could even find some other shots, you know, because, you know, that's, you know, how Mira tends to walk, you know, yeah. like he's going to, you know, make a, a mental picture of the scene or actually like I'm looking it. at, yeah, I'm looking at the top of one of the, the towers, you know, and next to it, it looks like the area that could be where Julius, you know, and Adonis fight. Yeah. You know? Yeah. When they fought Stuff and, like you know. That. Yeah, yeah, exa- exactly, you know, and that's, that's not surprising at all, you know, and I'm sure if we actually took this picture and went to, you know, volume 27, you know, and looked at, uh, Windham, you know, transformed, and when, you know, Silat and Rakshas are running on the roofs and stuff, yeah. maybe, maybe you could find, you know, some, you know, how to say, some, you know, some landmarks. Yeah, some landmarks, you know, and find them there. It's, it's very possible because that's, uh, that's how Mira walks. And then, of course, we've got these weaselly looking, yeah, you know, <laughs> noble people. They got the one who looks sort of like Steve Buscemi, but like more of a more of a wiener. And then the guy who just looks like a, such a wannabe, like prim and proper, you know, 
guy, yeah. but like a wannabe tough guy, but he's clearly a fop, you know, and yeah. going on about <laughs> their yeah. rumor mongering. And he's... yeah, then we see, and then for contrast, we see Guts, you know, the action hero come on the yeah. scene, the real man. And uh, yeah, what's, it's what's... just so funny seeing this guy, you know, try to give him, you know, shit. <laughs> Yeah, what's great is that, uh, he's actually pretty confident because Guts is wounded, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he really makes fun of him. And when he actually, you know, how to say, walks on his foot with his, you know, uh, fuck, with his walking singer. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah, so, it's so obviously intentional his in the shot. Crutch, yeah. And, uh, and the guy, you know, like he's, he's gonna attack him, but just, he's, he's got the just, tear in his eye. Yeah. He's just, reaching for the sword. Yeah. Just a look for guts is enough to get the guy to reconsider, you know? Yeah. I, he's got his sword like halfway drawn and he's looking yeah. at him they're like, ooh. <laughs> and then he falls down. And, yeah, it's just a total, it's almost, it's really over the top. <laughs> like yeah. how embarrassing it is, you know, as he falls to his knees. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. But it also goes to show that guts, uh, you know, like. He has his own, you know, intimidating, you know, yeah, presence yeah. in bloodlust. He's not, he's not anyone, you know, like he might not be Zod, but he's enough yeah. to make these guys, you know, whimper. He's no one know. to be trifled with by a pretender, you know, someone who's, you know, yeah. whose pride is hurt, like, you know, Guts has, Evan, just Ev- for it. Yeah. Even though, you know, he's wounded and needs a crush to walk, you know, he can yeah. still, you know, someone's that kind of intimidation. <laughs> and then of course he, uh, walks out into the courtyard area and we find, uh, the rest yeah. of the Hawks, who are yeah. sort of going through what Walter, you know, alluded to. They're not able to see Griffith. And, of course, Guts is remembering Casca's uh, words to him. So things are still on the outs with them, clearly. Yeah, yeah. He at him and looks away. And, you know, Judo tries to mend fences, as he always does. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's funny that, you know, like, they they would, you know, wait and, you know, not try not to embarrass Griffiths, but Gus doesn't care, you know? Yeah, that's the thing. He has no, he has no concept of, uh, of it. Whereas like, you know, we were talking about Corcus earlier being unsophisticated. He still, he still understands it though, even though he's, you know, like on the low end of it. Whereas Gus just, you know, he doesn't acknowledge, he doesn't even see it, you know, or see the problem or acknowledge it. It's just something stupid to him. Yeah. Well, I think it's not, I think he does, you know, like he does know and he's not supposed to and such, but he, he just doesn't care, you know, like yeah. that's, he's, uh, I think he's used to pretty much just getting his own way, you know, so like, yeah. you know, even though he's not supposed to and whatever, he, he'll just go and do it. And, you know, when the guards, you know, stop him, he just, you know, fucking put them yeah, on the it's floor. Like, what? Yeah, he doesn't see the, like, you know, they have the authority to stop him, you know. It's like, oh, they're going to try to stop me. Well, you know, they can't because I can just knock them down. He's sort of, he's following a more primal, you know, like the law of the jungle almost where it's like the strong, you know. Yeah. Like, you know, if you can stop him, you know, by all means. But otherwise, he's going to, you know, get in there. Yeah, and pretty it's much. Interesting how it almost in a weird way parallels what Griffith was saying yeah. about, you know, what what a man can accomplish, you know, and, you know, the rules of society being imposed on him. Because Guts really does yeah. sort of live his life that way, you know. You know, you know, it's crazy because I was actually going to to talk about that. And also yeah. the fact that, you know, when Griffith says, you know, like that some men are born, you know, just live because they're born and some have another kind of ambition, you know, it, it's also, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting parallel because they are not so different, you know, they're way of seeing things. It's just Griffith goes at it in a way that, you know, 
What's that? More, more subtle, you know? Yeah, where he wants to, I mean, he's almost, he's, he's following the rules to manipulate, you know, the yeah. rules to yeah. take over. Whereas Guts is just, he completely disregards it. It's something yeah. completely outside of him and he just walks right, you know, walks right yeah. through those, right through those walls. Yeah, pretty much. So, yeah, anyway, he's stopped by Casca in the only way she knows will walk on him by punching him in the face, you know? <laughs> yeah. Which actually shocks, shocks everybody, yeah. you know? So this is the reaction him. face of, of Carcass. And apparently yeah. it looks like it actually does, you know, hurt quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, he's actually, he gets pissed off, but seeing her face, you know, he, he reconsiders. So, yeah. so yeah, it's, it's successful in letting him, you know, uh, would say in making him reconsider his actions, you know, she she manages yeah. to to do that. We also get this sort of neat shot of Griffith glad handing and schmoozing, you know, essentially with all these weasels coming to visit him, you know, yeah, trying to curry favor. It's it's great because it's got these like speech bubbles where they're talking about, you know, exactly what he's doing, you know, and it shows him just having this sort of like oh, oh, oh kind of shot where he's talking with them. Yeah, and they're all, you know, pretty much very weaselly and, you know, it's, you know, yeah, it's, it's pretty, you know, disgusting, you know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And after that, you know, we see after Gus leaves, you know, we see Rickard saying he actually understands, you know, how, how, you know, he feels and the others and, yeah. you know, like even though they're not like him, they're following the rules, you know, they actually yeah. all want to do the same thing he did. Yeah, and like in Casca, you know, even she can relate to the words, you know. Yeah. She hears them, you know, and obviously those, you know, they have it uh, surrounding her face. And she knows all too well, it's sort of that distance from Griffith. Yeah. And then we get a little time lapse. Yeah. Oh, what were you going to say? uh, I was just going to say we get to see uh, Guts, you know, slashing down, you know, hot leaves and reflecting, you know, reflecting specifically on what Casca, you know, has been telling him, you know. And it, it gets him angry, but at the same time, yeah, that, that, you know, I find it interesting that it's her she, he's thinking about, you know, in yeah. that situation, you know, and thinking about her accusations. And, you know, I relate that to the fact his character has evolved, you know, and I wonder how much is because of her and how much is not. And if he's already, you know, how to say, As, start, you know, start, she's yeah. under his skin. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And why does what she says matter so much to him? Because you know he doesn't really yeah. care what anyone says, you know. So it's it's only her that bothers him, you know. Her and Griffith, basically, yeah. he only cares about their opinions. Yeah. So yeah, so I I think it's interesting, and of course, it's a great setup for later developments between them. Yeah. And then, and then Griffith, of course, uh, yeah, Griffith arrives and plays the same role, you know, where that he did before, essentially, except you know, Casca isn't there, except in Gut's mind, you know. Yeah. Calms it down. Yeah. And, and uh, you know. Yeah. Let's him know, you know, about, uh, the politics that he was, you know, involved in and apologizes for that. Yeah. Which I don't know if he did that for anyone else. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. It, it does play to Guts, you know, what's, uh, to Guts' feelings, you know. I actually yeah. wonder, like, how much of it is genuine and how much is, you know, playing for his audience. Manipulating him, yeah. Yeah, but also I think he's mostly genuine. I also like the fact he's impressed, you know, again, whether it's true or not, that, you know, Guts, he's already swinging his sword, even though yeah. he was injured, you know? And he's saying, you know, I can barely get around. Yeah, so, so yeah, they, they talk about Zod, you know? But again, you know, even though they're like, oh, I can barely believe, you know, he exists, it's not like they're, you know, 
they're not all up in arms about it, you know. Again, it goes to show that they live in, in a world where such things happen. And yeah, well, it's crazy, man, but it's pretty much just like that. It's like if I saw an alien well, I wonder outside. if, uh, if Miro was also drawing inspiration. I mean, I guess, I mean, when you look back on the world, I mean, there's people today that, you know, like 78% of Americans, you know, like believe in angels, you know, they'll throw yeah. out those, you know, <laughs> statistics. Where it's like, you know, in medieval times, you know, there were people that, you know, in reality, you know, obviously this is a fantasy world based on some, you know, medieval elements. But, uh, you know, people did believe in these things and, you know, they obviously probably weren't seeing them. But, I mean, yeah. they would have been prepared in, in some sense if they did. They might have actually been able to to process it. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, this just happens to be like, they're, yeah, those things actually do exist in the berserk world. Yeah, and uh, well, as a fact, you know, Griffith equates God to the devil. Well, it's interesting when we know where, you know, how it ends up being, you know, with the, you know, idea of evil, you know, being, you know, an evil God, you know, so. Did you say, so, did you just say the idea, the idea of evil? Yeah, well, oh. because, you know, yeah, that's actually how it's pronounced in, in, I know, in Japanese. But I'm, like, yeah. I'm going, yeah. Well, you can, you know, say it however you want, but I always said, I, I always said it like that, you know, never the idea of evil, because, well, I, I guess maybe I... was just making reference to your, uh, your webpage on the matter that we should put in the thread. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, man. Oh, yeah, because I, com- I completely missed that one. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Famous uh, Final Fantasy VIII character, of yeah. course. I, I actually, yeah. I actually never replaced that game, but nope. uh, I wonder who, who was aged. You know, I, I saw Gravity. I, I'm just, you know, uh, you know. I just watched it last night. Yeah, well, same here. And uh, um, I was actually reminded of, uh, you know, the part in Final Fantasy VIII where, you know, Skull goes after, you know, Rinoa when she's floating into space. So it was, you know, a very powerful scene to me. One of the most yeah. powerful, you know. I, I always felt that, you know, this game's love story was a step above, you know, the other things, you know. Uh, well, I mean, it wasn't better than Aerith and, uh, and Cloud. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, that's oh. better than Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Well, anyway, fuck, what were we talking about? Yeah, back about? to Berserk before, you know. Yeah, I think so, we're losing so, yeah, people. The God and uh, Evil, I, I find it interesting in that regard. And uh, I also think it's uh, interesting that, you know, Griffith wonders why they were left alive, and Gus tells him it's because of the Beherit, but he doesn't tell him everything. Like, he withholds, you know, uh, he withholds what, you know, uh, they told him about, you know, you know, yeah. Jose to be prepared and such, you know, where he faces, you know, his own death and stuff like that. And Griffith actually misinterprets, you know, uh, what happened and thinks, oh, well, you know, like this, you know, chases away, you know, evil spirits or whatever. So, yeah, I find it interesting and, you know, well, that's it. Clever, you know, yeah. of Mira to address it in that way, you know. Yeah, Gut sort of changes the subject, actually. I mean, I don't know if it's intentional, like he doesn't <laughs> want to talk about that or if he just wants to talk about this more and then they yeah. get uh, interrupted. But, yeah. yeah, it plays back into what we were – yeah, yeah, it goes yeah. back to the beginning of the volume. Yeah, because, you know, actually, you know, it's a good way to end these things because whereas, you know, for the earlier scene, I, I don't see, you know, uh, what says, uh, ambivalence of grief, Griffiths, you know, uh, sentiments towards guts, you know, whereas here in this scene, you know, like it's, it's, you know, it's a g- genuine interrogation. And, uh, I think yeah. the, the ambiguity, you know, uh, is, uh, of course, you know, but they are proposed by Mira, you know, of, you know, 
you know, why Griffith is dead. And he actually answers, you know, in a very enigmatic way that only serves to reinforce that fact, saying that, you know, yeah. there's yeah, no reason. Says, I don't, do I need a reason, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You so, know, why do I need a reason to save your life? You know, sort of a thing. He doesn't even sort of put up the the front, you know, or give yeah. him, you know, official he reason. You know? he, he doesn't even try to, you know, to give uh, any reason. He just says he doesn't need one. So, so yeah. And that, and it ends on that note, which is, you know, quite, you know, fitting. All right. Let's uh, move on to volume six. Open it up. And, <laughs> <laughs> wow. No. So oh. I guess, you know, unlike, you know, what, what the thoughts. As usual, I was right <laughs> there to say that, yeah, it took a while to do this volume because there was a lot of interesting things to say. Yeah. I mean, it always ends up that way. I mean, like, yeah, there's lots of them where I think, you know, oh, we'll be able to cover, but it's like, there's just so many details and yeah. everyone. There's always hard. something to say. Well, it's just, you know, I, I mean, I was kidding right now, but it's, it's the thing that there's always something to say, you know, yeah. because of, you know, whole Berserk is made, you know, and uh, the way Murai is, you know, as a perfectionist, you know, always, you know, with uh, an eye for detail. So we're always going to be ending up, you know, taking a while to detail everything. Yeah. Well, I guess that's it for the show today. Yep. All right. Well, I guess this is uh, As and Griff signing off. So, yeah. Yeah. I'll see you next time. See you guys later for, you know, a next episode of just us two talking. Why Walter is busy doing better shopping. Yeah, no. Because, yeah, he doesn't like you guys anymore. Yeah, he's pretty better buy off his fucking groceries, you know, stuff that matters. Well, <laughs> I think that's the perfect way to sign off. <laughs> All right. Well, see ya guys, I guess. And uh, see ya, Griff. Yep, see ya.